The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello! Welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I am your host, and this is my podcast. My guest today is David Lowry. David Lowry is the writer and director of Disney's upcoming Pete's Dragon, starring Robert Redford, Bryce Dallas Howard, Wes Bentley, and Oakes Fegley. What a crazy kooky name. Oakes Fegley. Oakes Fegley. He plays Pete. This is very exciting. I can't wait for it. Uh, Fun fact, David Lowry also wrote the screenplay for uh, a movie called The Pretty Birds, which I believe comes out this year, starring Jennifer Aniston and Tony Collette. David's last feature is the critically acclaimed Ain't Them Body Saints, starring Rooney Mara, Casey Affleck, and Ben Foster. Uh, David's first feature is called Saint Nick. You should totally check it out, and you should also watch David's beautiful short film called uh, Pioneer that he made years ago, starring Miles Brooks and Will Oldham. But all that aside... All of that aside, the most important thing here that I have to tell you is that David Lowry is one of my best friends, all right? He is one of the closest people to me in my entire life. He knows every single thing about me. Uh, he, he, David is a magical – here's – I've never gushed so much before an interview. I swear to God. I, swear, I mean in the intro for, uh, for an episode – I just have to tell you this. This is coming from a real place. I consider David Lowry to be a magical unicorn, all right, who, uh, who I think of as being in the world but not of the world, all right? I'm lucky enough to have met him years ago. Uh, we've known each other for nearly 10 years, okay? He was DPing a film that I was in called Audrey the Trainwreck. And, uh, and we became immediate friends. I felt very comfortable with him. Here's the even more special thing. I'm not framing this interview as a date because it's never been that way. And it will never be that way with David Lowry because he, from the get-go, has always been someone that I feel safe with. He's like a platonic best friend person that uh, isn't lechy or flirty or whatever. He's just like this grounded, lovely person and uh, makes me think, oh, wow, I'm an only child, but is this what it would be like to have a very wonderful, cool, big brother that you look up to where you have like a safe zone? So that's like a rare and wonderful thing. Um, I'm also friends with his wife named Augustine and his stepdaughter, Athena. These two magical beings are also incredibly special, and I have my own separate relationships with, with both of those women, and they make films. They're creative. It's just this whole modern amazing, kooky family of cool people that I'm so lucky to know. Uh, Side note, um, I'm just laying the foundation of everything. This is just, you know, just everything uh, about David Lowry that I want to throw out there before I get to the conversation. He's a good, grounded, Texas Catholic vegan guy who loves cats, and he has a tongue ring, and he looks like a vampire. I mean, I don't think he's a practicing Catholic person. Maybe they get a Christmas tree, but I'm just, you know, I'm just letting you know from from where he comes from. Oh, God, I have a whole list, a whole diatribe I want to go on off on uh, about him, about how he's so humble and likable and endlessly talented and just navigates life gracefully and blah, blah, blah. A huge thing for me is 
because there's no sexualization of our relationship and it's just pure friendship, the fact that he wants nothing from me and I want nothing from him, but we and we are friends and he believes in me and if he watches a short film and, uh, that I make or gives me notes or thinks something I write is funny or something I say is funny, it's like means so much to me. I like live to make him laugh and, and when he validates something that I do, it gives me the courage and belief in myself to like continue and that's just something huge. I, I'm not going to burst into tears. I kind of want to burst into tears, but uh, this is just my way of telling David and his family how much he means to me, how much they mean to me. And uh, anyway, I'm lucky to have them in my life, but I'm sure they all feel the same way about me, right guys? Anyway, David and I talk about a million things. Uh, we talk about the tapestry of how we know each other, which uh, is a web uh, of people um, there who are all inspiring and creative filmmakers. Uh, and that list includes uh, people like Ty West, Joe Swanberg, Chris Swanberg, Lena Dunham, Alex Ross Perry, Shane Carruth. Shane Carruth made a film called Primer and Upstream Color. Another fun fact, David Lowry edited Shane Carruth's film Upstream Color. I'm just putting shit out there that you're, you can take and run with and talk about at a party if you want, if you're a, well, I don't know. Um, we talk about family, why he's compelled to do what he does, uh, we talk about the meaning of life, Harvey Weinstein, why movies matter, how movies contextualize life, navigating this crazy, crazy business so gracefully. We talk about how he proposed to his wife, Augustine. We talk about practical jokes. Oh, and side note, um, I just remember this. He loves the movie Brown Bunny, and uh, I can't find this movie anywhere. And uh, so I need to go over to his house to watch it because David will not let me take, he won't let me take the DVD out of his house. So I got to remember to... uh make some time to go over to their house and watch that movie while everybody's not at home. Cause I don't want to watch, uh, I don't want to watch Chloe Sevigny giving a, giving Vincent Gallo a blowjob, like with the whole family next to me. Plus they've already seen it anyway. Um, yeah, I truly do love his whole family. And, um, Augustine, uh, is his wife. And I have to tell you rom romantics take notice. It can work. Marriage can work. The these two adore each other. They adore each other, and Augustine is a big part of our conversation, so listen up. I'm going to stop rambling, all right? If you like the show, subscribe on iTunes, why don't you, and, uh, and or your podcast app. Uh, if you'd like, I would like for you to write into the show with love and dating and life problems and questions so I can answer those questions with future guests, or you can just send, me, send in your thoughts and feelings uh, or comments or whatevs to dearlovealexi at gmail.com. And I also think that we should be friends on all things uh, social media, like Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, at Alexi Wasser. But I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to take a breath. And uh, let's get to my conversation with David Patrick Lowry, filmmaker and my favorite person in the goddamn universe. Enjoy. Now entering Nerdist.com. Here he comes! This is great. I think I smell like you. Oh. Okay. Was that a uh, thing you posted, Athena? No. Because yes. she was talking about it last night. Did she tell you? She, did she give herself away? Oh, this is Aristotle, my cool producer. Hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> this is David Lowry. All right, we're doing it. This is great. You're Where both. Sit? You sit there. We're both kind of introverts. I mean, you guys are both kind of introverts. I'm not an introvert. Yeah, I was like, I was like, wait a second. I'm an introvert too, a little. I'm an introvert extrovert, but. Um, I just think it's good you guys are in the same room together. My my producer and you, because he reminds me of you. Oh Jesus! <laughs> um, yeah, she was like, 
Oh my God, what did she say? She's like, I never knew so much about it. Wait, she admitted to me Instagramming about her? No, no, just last night in the car. Oh, no, is she mad that I posted that? No, I haven't talked to her today. Okay, because I, I made it anonymous. So I I'm thought, sure she's not. I'm so, so I thought she would. She, I, I think feel she'll like think it's funny. It's the future. But Augustine instantly knew it was her. She did? Yeah. Oh, so that's okay, because you guys had already had the same conversation. Yeah. Okay, put your headphones on. We're doing an interview. Oh, my God. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, how many times have you been on a podcast? Zero. Oh my God, we're fucked. This is. I'm just gonna clam up here in a this, second. I can and, sell the body and I'm just language. Freeze up. I'm the, just gonna be like, <laughs> you're already vegan. Yeah. <laughs> you already love cats, but actually, I was vegan and I have a cat now. So um, I don't know why I'm trying to attack you and give you these labels like they're yeah, bad, bad yeah. things. We've had a lot of text message exchanges about your cat. About my cat. Um, all right, let me put my phone away. Let's let's put our smartphones on silent. I did. It's on airplane mode. Even better. Let's go, let's flip your phone over. I can't have your phone on the table. I mean, I just can't. Just put it in my purse. All right. Oh, my God. I just want you to see copious notes. Oh, my. That looks like you've diagrammed some sentences. Copious notes about David Lowry getting ready for the big podcast today. Um, Are you already regretting that we're doing this? No, not at all. Um, uh, I was looking forward to it. What are you doing this weekend? Everybody was asking. I was like, well, guess what? I'm going to go do a podcast with Alexi. Okay, here's what I want to do. The only person that asked that was Toby. Oh, really? Is he mad that he's not on the podcast? No. Okay. Um... You know, this is uh, this can all be edited out. This is just like us finding our groove, like Stella. Oh, it's already recording. Yeah, it's already recording. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been firing gold coins at you oh, for geez. the past two minutes. I <laughs> it's, think it's so funny because I I've had like the last two guests have been comedians, and uh, and I could barely get a word in edgewise because you were laughing. Not even because I was laughing. Just they because took over. Just because they took over, and uh, you won't have that problem. With I don't me. think I will. <laughs> Wait, do you edit them yourself? No, he does. Okay. Aristotle. It's incredible. We rarely have any edits, right, Aristotle? Yeah, I always hear the part where the person's like, oh, are you gonna, you're going to edit this out, right? And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. I've been, a, I've been getting a lot of letters. People are actually listening to the show. That's great. I can't believe it. Um, yeah, guys and girls. Um, all right. We're going to set the stage here. I don't know what's going to happen today on this podcast with you, David Lowry, but I love that we're doing it, and I want to start off. Who are you wearing? You're wearing a good... <laughs> You're wearing like a cool... I think cool it's st- yeah. like from H&M. You think it's from H&M? Is this because your wife... She bought it. She bought it. She yes. just buys all your clothes for you. Well, that wasn't always the case. But at one point, I tried one of those mail order services mm-hmm. because I just hate shopping. Is as... that where you got Augustine? Yes. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Real cool. <laughs> she's learned English quite well. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, she's flawless. <laughs> but it was one of those ones where you get a box of clothes in the mail and it was all terrible. You just order a box and they just like give you whatever you like your size. sign up for it. And then it's like you order a box of clothes and they mail it to you and you're supposed to say what you like. And and then whatever you don't want, you send back and it's free postage. And it was all horrible. Like everything was bad. You know that you're the writer director of a, of a huge uh, up- upcoming Disney blockbuster, right? Maybe. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you're ordering well, boxes of clothes with free postage. This is crazy. Well, it's not the free postage. It's just that's <laughs> what makes it convenient. Like I got it. But it was more about trying out the convenience and seeing if it was a perfect. That's you. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is ironic. <laughs> it's like a debt collector. It's like, <laughs> fully like somebody like, can you pay your credit card bills, please? <laughs> Listen, it was a crazy day. We're running late. Uh, Aristotle, the producer over here, he had a, an art show last night. So, you oh, know, he probably got wasted yesterday. He's uh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. I'm just trying to be relatable uh, on the show. So, listen, my point is 
You're wearing a cool striped shirt from H&M. Yes. Your wife picked it out for you. Um, you look good. Thank you. You look good. I'm excited we're doing this. We're, we're doing this on a, on a Saturday. How did we meet? We met in Chicago. Okay. In 2008. You remember the year? Of course. Oh, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not framing this as a date. I'm starting to do this thing on the show where I notice every time there's a male guest, I, I make a joke where I'm like framing it as a, as a date. Talk about our first date. And no, and, well, I just want, and, and I just want, it's very important for me to, to clarify this episode with David Lowry, who is like this very special, wonderful, uh, gentle unicorn. Uh, you're the most likable man I've ever met in my life. I have so much love for you. This episode is not being framed as a date because, uh, first of all, you're married, even though that wouldn't stop me. I, I, would, I would still frame it as a, as, <laughs> as, a, as a mock date if I wanted to. But something very special with you is uh, I've never felt any weird sexual tension between us or I've always felt safe with you is my point. I'm not trying to insult you. No, not at all. I mean, that is, I think, one of the things that's been great about our friendship over the past almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. Yeah, because I just feel like you, from the get-go, and you will tell everybody how we met, and I will shut the fuck up in a moment. Uh, But, yeah, I just always felt like you were like this cool, magical, mystical big brother who I felt safe with, and you were never lechy and never creepy, and, okay, go back to how we met. So, So, but but you are my best friend, though, right? I mean, no, I'm sorry. Okay, because I refer to you behind your back uh, as being uh, – people are like, who are your best friends? And I go, David Lowry. David Lowry is my best friend. But then I'm, I'm thinking, um, is that okay if I do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Definitely on the BFF list. Really? Yeah. Because you know everything about me. You know every That's detail. True. Things that other people – you know, they have no – not even my boyfriends. Uh, I've, I haven't told things that I've told you. All right? You've stayed at my apartment uh, by yourself with your wife. You stayed at my mother's house because uh, she Airbnb's, Airbnb's her her place. I don't know. I'm just going off on this I, thing. I this, really enjoyed staying at your mom's house. It was phenomenal. And your apartment as well. And but, my apartment. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you, we spent Thanksgiving together. So I'm just saying, if if you didn't think we were best friends. And I invited you to the wedding, but you were it was, <sighs> it was busy. It was, a, it was a tricky time of the year. This is already all over the place. But here's the thing. I, at the time when you invited me to your wedding, I was going through such a weird, stressful time in my life because I think that's when like... I sold a show or something, or I was trying to. There was there were things going on, but it was busy for me too. So it was like a really because I was making a short film and getting ready to do something else, and and somehow I was like, oh wait, and we squeezed a wedding in there too. You squeezed a wedding in there, and I remember thinking, I cannot believe David Lowry didn't invite me to his wedding. And then I like scrolled through my old emails, and then I saw like I saw an email from you saying, hey, I know you're probably really busy, but um, I just wanted to send you this invite. And you totally did invite me. So I had been like upset and hurt that you hadn't <laughs> invited me. And then I realized I totally snubbed your, your wedding invite. But anyway, how did we meet? It was 2008 in Chicago and roughly October. And it snowed. And we were making this movie with this gentleman named Frank Ross, who's a really talented filmmaker, who was a friend of mine. And he had asked me to... To shoot it. And I am not a cinematographer. I have no idea what I'm doing. Yes, you are. Well, I know how to operate a camera. All right. But not that well. Okay. And I kind of have an idea of like, but I don't know, like, I didn't know what I, how to like set color temperatures or all the things that you're supposed to know how to do at that point. I, but I had a camera and, and, and so he, he asked me to shoot his film called Audrey the Trainwreck. And he, we were in, right before we went to Chicago to shoot it, we were in Birmingham, Alabama for a film festival 
and he showed me this audition and he's like here's the girl that's going to play the lead and i feel like we were walking down the street and he had like his computer open and we were just like walking with a couple people and he was like check this out and i watched it and i thought it was great and i was like oh she's awesome and then and that was me that was you all right and i knew i i think i had seen you in Austin with Ty, because I remember running into Ty while he was shooting. If this was serial, they'd be like, he's referring to Ty West. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> director of... Uh, and you were blonde at that point. That's my and, natural hair yeah. Color, yeah. So it was, it was definitely like I, I, you were kind of like in the peripheral, you know, vision of my life at that point through Ty and, and various other folks. And then I saw that audition and was like, oh, she's great. And, and we went to Chicago and I think you got there, like, we were shooting for a week already, and everyone was excited about, you know, we were just shooting dudes at that point. Everyone was excited to have an actress enter the uh, sphere of our production. And uh, and then that was you, and you showed up, and, and we've been friends ever since. I remember getting there thinking, oh, my God, oh, wait, what? Like, this, like there were only men, and then just me, and I didn't know anybody and then there's also like something in the script that was like had to do with a I didn't understand from reading the script that like the director well Frank wanted me to like mime what did he want me to do? It was ties into a recent podcast of yours in oh, that it God, was that, um, yeah okay anal sex yes stuff. exactly I'm not into anal sex at all yeah and as you made very clear that night when you realized that that was what the script suggested but he to, to to your credit he didn't make it clear he didn't make it clear in the script and at he all he had to call me separately yeah. and say i just want to make sure you're comfortable with this yeah it was very it was almost like written by someone who was afraid to write the words anal sex yeah and it was written very suggestively but like you could totally misread it as just normal sex normal sex so i was supposed to suck on my fingers and then make a gesture like i was going to put those two fingers in my bum hole to make my bum hole big so he could have anal sex with me is that what the well that's was? way more detailed than i remember it i'm being. sorry but that's what i'm saying it wasn't yeah. in the script it wasn't yeah it. you could intuit into it so yeah so i get there we're, we're all at like this group dinner we're in like the suburbs of chicago <laughs> it was like this greek restaurant this weird greek restaurant i just got this new cool jacket from from like the local target which i was like so excited that there was like a target right nearby um i went there every day and i was like in ex- like you know in heaven <laughs> But uh, but I remember I immediately gravitated towards you because you looked like uh, like a goth like vampire kind of guy. You have like a freckle on your eye, right? Yeah, or that your... little piece of old eyeliner. Yeah, and you just seem like asexual. I hope that's okay. That's fine. But like yeah. in a cool goth way, like it meet you at the club and like we'd be like rebels and we started like a cool you know club together. But uh... we sort of did on that production because I remember we would steal the moving van that was your character's van and go to Whole Foods. Yeah. Oh my god, we shared we shared we shared and we share a love of Whole Foods, coffee, vegan food. Even though I'm not vegan. And cats, all the things I was trying to attack you for right when you got here today for the podcast. But yes, um, so that's how we met. And then right after that, you started your blog, like right after that. This was pre-I'mBoyCrazy.com. Oh my God. It was like a month later. Because I remember you talking about, oh, I think I might start a blog. And and then you did it. And then the next summer, I was out in L.A. I went off and shot some more movies, did my own movie. But then that summer, I came to L.A. and... I think that's the summer that we shot your short films, or was it the summer after that? Maybe the summer after. Yeah, it must have been the summer after that, because that summer I wasn't in L.A. that much. And this is and the reason I like to ask how we meet, like, that's why I like, kind of like to start every single show. I think I'm way too caffeinated this episode. I got, like, it's like 2 p.m. we're, we're recording, so I had, like, a coffee in the morning, and then I was like, fuck it, I'll take another <laughs> coffee. And I'm like, whoa, like, this is crazy. But um, I remember, um, oh, I like to ask people how 
my guests how we met because I think that's so interesting to see how everybody's kind of like it's like you know weaves together and it's like this weird tapestry of how people like intersect and uh but the only reason I went to Chicago to do that Frank Ross movie was because I did Cabin Fever 2 with Ty. Uh, Ty's friend was is, is was Joe Swanberg. Joe Swanberg was doing like B-roll for Cabin Fever 2, which now is like ridiculous or something. Oh, yeah, that's right. Was, like, he, like, he, was, he was an actor in it too, right? He was an like, actor yeah. in it, but in like a bunny suit. And then I was in Los Angeles feeling like just like... Oh, I, have to, I need to do something creative. I hate this. I'm only going out for, you know, I'm on, going on commercial castings. I want to do something that, like, interesting and throw myself into the world. I had experienced, like, a major breakup, I think. And uh, I emailed Joe. Joe was like, you need to meet Frank Ross. You need to meet Lena Dunham. I emailed both of them. I put myself on tape for Audrey the Trainwreck. Uh, emailed Lena, and Lena and I met in New York, like, a few months after that when I flew out there to go see like Woody Allen play at the Carlisle Hotel for like a weekend, like we, so it's like, and then I became friends with you from Roger the Trainwreck. We made these short films, the Boy Crazy short films, just like, it's just insane how like, and then your friends with Ty and everybody, how everybody knows each other. Yeah. I remember even emailing with Lena Dunham about you and she was like, oh, I love Alexi. She's like a China doll. I'm like a China doll. You already were first. <laughs> Amazing. And here we are. Um, but okay. So then I want to get to how you went from shooting some uber low budget film in Chicago with me as the starring role, even though that the role wasn't named Audrey, to writing and directing Anthem Body Saints and the upcoming uh, Disney's Pete's Dragon. And you lived in your car at some point. We got to get to like, we got to make this a feel good story. So kids out there... You know. I was living in my car when we did Audrey the Trainwreck. You But were? I wasn't really because I was always you gone. Tell me? You didn't tell me. Well, because oh. I, was, I wasn't like, it was only like when I was like not doing something else that like if I wasn't making a movie, I didn't have an apartment or any you know anywhere to stay, and so I was you know itinerant homeless filmmaker. Oh man! But I was gone all the time. Like so, it wasn't really like living in my car because I was always um, I was in Chicago. I was then from there I went and did the film with Chris Swanberg. Or I did another movie with Joe that never got finished. What's that called? It became this movie he made called Silver Bullets. But at one point it was something else, and that was right after Out of the Trainwreck. Wait, Silver Bullets was about a musician couple, like an actress girl and a musician boyfriend, and then she cheats on the that musician? That was Alexander the Last, which I did before. So, which was so based I whole... on my life, I think. But anyway, whatever. Oh, was it? Never mind. I just forget. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it that. Was, it was a whole period where I was just working with other people on movies, and, and as a result didn't really have a home and or life to speak of yeah. other than those movies. So I did a movie with Joe that was like in this, you know, spring and summer. And then I did Frank's movie. I did some stuff in Texas in the summer. And then from there I went to Costa Rica with Chris Swanberg and Jade Healy. That's Joe's wife is yes. Chris Swanberg. And she's also a filmmaker. And Jade Healy is a production designer who works on all of these people's films yeah. pretty much. And she's very talented. And yeah, she worked on all of my movies. Yeah. And so then we, you know, anyway, I, I basically... What was the question? This is know. about this is like a chronology <laughs> thing. No, like how did I get from here to there? No, no, we don't have to do that. I will, I, I, I'm going to jump all over the place. This is going to be a very caffeinated all over the place. I didn't interview. take caffeine. You did. Well, I didn't take my caffeine injection. You did. Yeah, like I didn't do it this morning. Why? No, I didn't. Well, I had coffee this morning, but I just waited. I didn't like go get coffee right before this because then I would talk really fast. Is and that I would, what I'm doing? Well, you're talking your normal rate. Okay, cool. And I just know from experience that if I have a lot of caffeine before I have to speak, <laughs> it'll just be like... Maybe that's what we need. 
We could just do that for five minutes. Just, I mean, subti- can you subtitle a podcast? I'm going to try. <laughs> this will be the first <laughs> one we try to do that. I uh, listen. This is what happens. You have different guests on. You get to, you get a different energy. A different, it's a different day. This is what's, this is what's, what's happening on a Saturday. On a I mean, Saturday is this going to be a really boring one? Because normally, like you know, the, the, I, again, I don't take offense at the asexual thing. I get it. But like, there's the sexual charge that you have in all of your other podcasts. Might I know. Be missing. Look at this. Look it's, at us. Yeah. Fucking... we're just adults just talking about life, <laughs> as opposed to like having this weird tension. Very name droppy too with Lena Dunham, Joe Swanberg, Ty West. You. It's just like, what am I trying to prove? I always think about like I'm just saying I know these people. Yeah, you but know, you also people. the interesting thing about it is it's like that that circle of friends who may or may not be friends still. Like I haven't talked to Lena in like. Ten years, no. Like whenever girls came out, that was the last time I talked to her. But uh, the these this group of filmmakers that all knew each other and had it, these connections and all worked together, and now they're all making bigger and better things, and not better, but bigger things popping off. And it's great to see like that because you think back in the seventies and you had like George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola and all the guys at American Zoetrope who were all you know just friends and helping each other out in their movies. And and that feels like, oh, wow, that would be great to have. What an exciting group of friends. And they were all so talented. And then, then you look at your own group of friends as they start to like Come up. matriculate in the world of, of the industry of their choosing. And, and, and all of a sudden they're all being successful and doing things. And you realize, oh, wait, that's – it's just a thing that comes in waves and yeah. and I'm part of one, which is cool. That's so nice. You can see it now and you don't have to wait till you're like way older to go, oh, yes, I had that too. I always am afraid of having to wait till I'm older to see things like that. I'm sure that's one of the benefits of being older is yeah. that you get that hindsight. But I'm just like, but then you're also old. Do you? I mean, man, I prepared copious notes as I've been doing. I've been trying to be very prepared, but fuck it. I'm just jumping all over. Yeah, just, just free form. Okay, so you... You got married a few years ago to Augustine, and uh, is, can I call her a filmmaker too? She yeah. makes films. Yeah. She's a filmmaker. She just got a short film, like a uh, South second by Southwest. one, yeah. South by Southwest. Uh, her daughter, your stepdaughter or step roommate, roommate, yeah, step roommate, because yeah. you don't, you're not a dad, really. I mean, you're just well, like she a was big ten. Kid. When, she was ten when ten, we got married. Ten when you got you guys got married. She she makes films. Yeah, she too. made a film she, that I produced that I barely yes. like, gave like five dollars, and I'm like, I'm an executive producer. Yeah, you helped out way more than that. <laughs> oh god. And also, we're just like you know, in general, just life support probably. We're all just supporting each other's lives. Yeah. But uh, you have this like kooky fun uh, filmmaking clan that uh, it's a real modern family. A real you think mo- it's a real modern family. But you told me the other day, and I don't know if I'm overstepping my boundaries, but. Uh, you okay first you said you never wanted kids right correct but then i didn't forget this this does not fall on deaf ears you said you were listening to a podcast now that you've moved to los angeles you're listening to podcasts yeah, now because you're, you're driving yeah i drive all the time and Very, i was like wow podcasts are great i'm I've telling never you listened to them that's what i'm telling you i'm addicted to them um but you said you listened to this one podcast and i don't know who it was you were listening to but he said the only way you can kind of get out of your ego or like push your ego uh, ego aside is to have a kid and it made you think maybe you do want to have a kid. It made me think about what I would gain from that. And again, that, that look at that. There I'm talking about what I would gain. Very selfish. Very selfish. That's the reason I, I don't too. want to have kids is pure selfishness because I don't want to have to divide my time and attention to someone that would that would deserve it, basically. Because I certainly, if I had a child... I would give them everything they need. Because you don't want to fuck it up. I wouldn't want to fuck it up. But also, I I used to assume, I have to assume that I would just love them and want them to have everything. And it would be a very positive thing in my life. Yeah. But I also want to deny myself that for the sake of doing the things I like doing right now. Do you think that will change? Because you you seem, and and if it did, would your wife 
uh, be okay with that? Yeah, but I also am always thinking globally as a (laughs) member of the 21st century. (laughs) And I'm like, you know, if I change my mind, we should adopt. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Because I don't feel the need biologically to disseminate my genetic code in yeah. another human being. And talking about like cum, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, cool. <laughs> exactly. If you break down the word disseminate, you can kind of just find the root. Yeah, exactly. Very you know cool. exactly what I'm saying. Read, yeah. read in between the lines, <laughs> etymologically speaking. No, and no sexual vibe right here. Not at all. It's just friends. Okay. And, <laughs> Clearly. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that need. I'm sure that that is a profound, I know that that's a profound experience and that the connection between a biological child and an adopted child must be significantly different but i also just don't i don't know it doesn't matter to me doesn't right matter. now like um, right I mean, right now it just doesn't matter and and, and yeah. because of that i'm just like let's just make a decision not to have kids and whether that involves um getting uh gosh what's the name of the the surgery you guys get oh they, vasectomy vasectomy yeah. did you already get one of those no i didn't you didn't okay but uh um you know, that's, I've definitely thought about it because I just, and it doesn't seem like I'd be missing out on anything. Like, so anyway, I do know though, that when I said whatever I said about hearing that podcast, that like, I can imagine a child bettering my life in a way, but there are other things that would also better my life and make me happier. And other things that in addition to that, that I, that I also could pursue. And so I'm sort of just like saying like, that's one thing that I'm going to remove from the equation at the moment. That's how I and feel. forever. And forever, maybe. That, uh, hence adoption. Ad- adoption allows you to... Because also, like, you know, I'm in my mid-30s. I mean, 20s. I'm in 28. Yeah, we're, 20, 28 we're both 28. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And so is Augustine. She's 28. And when you turn 30, you can't have kids anymore. Totally. That's what and they say. Exactly. Exclusive. And <laughs> so we're reaching that point of turning 30 and not being able to have children. And... uh and at that point, if we decided after that point came, you know, in about six years when we turned 30. Yeah, okay. We, <laughs> you know, we can adopt. We it's get great. it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I want to know who your parents are. Are you an only child or you have like 10 siblings? It's the latter. You have like 10 siblings? Eight siblings. I'm the oldest of nine. You're the oldest of nine? Who are these boneheads? And do, does your family get you at all or, or do you feel completely alienated from your family? No, they're completely get me they do yeah who are they who are these people who made you catholics catholics and you're not religious at all right no i mean <gasps> you know there's that thing when you say if you're born and raised catholic you're always catholic and uh, almost like almost like it's an ethnicity okay but i have no religious um you know faith should we have prayed before this podcast could have. Wait, how do you pray? By the way, I don't want to do anything that could potentially get you fired from this Disney project. I don't want like this podcast to come out and then they're like, they like somebody at Disney like finds it and then you it's say, like, I'm really interested in directing pornography. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my God, take that back. He didn't mean that. That was a joke. That was a joke. Like the context is completely lost. Don't make any. Oh my God, I, I use the word come. <gasps> oh no. But like in the. You're not going to get fired. Yeah. Right? I mean, did we really explain what you meant by that? No. No. Um. So. Who are your, who's your dad? Who's your mom? Who are these people? And yeah, like my mom is um, from Texas. My dad's from Wisconsin, and they met in their twenties. And I, mean, I don't need the whole saga. Yeah, I'm like, just you know, uh, and, and then and then had bites. had nine kids. <laughs> they had nine kids. And my mom's oldest of nine kids, so I think she just felt she had something to prove. Do what does your dad do? He just retired, but he is a uh, theology professor, which means he teaches you. Why not to 
masturbate, basically. Really? You know, Catholic stuff. He teaches Catholic stuff? Yeah. So do you think you have a lot of shame attached to, like, sex and, like, you know? Yeah, probably. You do? I think it, I think it definitely, looking back on... I'm applying lipstick right after I asked yeah, that question. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's to... perfect timing. <laughs> I think that when you were raised in that environment where even just not being... Oh, Here's some hit me up with some of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even if you are not, like, it's not like being hammered home that sex is bad. Like, just being told not to watch sex scenes in movies. Yeah. You know, that sort of like enforces an idea that there's something taboo, taboo about it. Yeah. And and so that was certainly our upbringing was, you know, watching Christmas Vacation every year. But when the, you know, Chevy Chase is dreaming of the woman getting out of the pool topless, like, was like, don't watch that scene, kids. Isn't that Fast Times Ridgemont High? Or is it well, that's like the one every... where it goes all the way. That's oh. the, And that was the, it's obviously a riff on that. And that one is oh. that one is that was exciting to see when I finally saw that one. Oh, my God. David Lowry has a tongue ring. Was that like, how old were you when you got that? Was that like a, a big fuck you to your parents? Or your, your like, I was 17. Yeah. And I had gotten, I don't know why, I, I don't think I'd had anything else pierced at that point. And I had my ear pierced when I was like 12. My mom took me to the mall to do that at Claire's. Claire's. Oh, yeah, my yeah. God. I don't even have my ears pierced. Do you still have your ears pierced? It's got like a whole, like a, a I mean, you could probably poke it through. But it was, I didn't keep it for very long. Wait, wait which ear? Which one, when you're 12, are you afraid to get pierced because you'll think people think you're gay? That's exactly what I want to know. I can't remember which one it is, though. Aristotle? <laughs> which one is it? Maybe that's not progressive. Wait, maybe we I think it was my left ear. I think yeah. I got my left ear pierced. And that means you're gay. That you're not no, gay. No, I, I mean, I remember. So dumb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's I also want, stupid. Nowadays, I get whichever one people. Means you're yeah, gay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so okay, then what did your mom do? She raised us. We were all homeschooled. Oh, you were? Jesus, what a recipe for a freaky, cool, asexual, kind of goth, uh, creative. Family. Like, we're all like that. It's crazy. <laughs> no, you should, you're not. No. What are your, so what are your other eight siblings like? They're all like various versions of me to a certain extent, but, so, but you just like, you know, on the various levels of like craziness or religiousness or um, artistic you know, integrity, it all just rise, rise and falls. So I've got one brother who's like a painter and an uh, incredibly talented painter who, you know, is really just consistently applying himself at his craft and just trying to get better and better and isn't about trying to get like art shows or to make money at it. He just really wants to perfect the art of painting. Where does he live? He is now living in somewhere in the Midwest. I think it's Ohio, Iowa, Indiana, one of those states. I can't remember which so one. So you guys are close. Yeah, and he ended up working on Pete's Dragon a lot. He, he did, did. He did a lot of the artwork, the, the artwork for it. Oh, that's and great. The the conceptual artwork, and then he also there's a storybook in the movie, like a children's book that's very central to the plot, and so he did that, and that actually is getting published. So, oh my god, we'll oh, this a published is great. a published children's book to his name. That's amazing. But um, I have one sister who's like a genius, and she's so smart that I don't even know what she's studying in school, but something. Something smart and intelligent uh, relating to the brain and brain studies. Mm-hmm. I've got a brother who is an Irish folk musician who makes a living also at Disney because they, his band is very popular. And Disney was like, hey, will you come play at Disney World for a year? 
Okay. So he got this like very lucrative contract to go play at Disney World, and he plays like on the streets of old Irish town. I've never been to Disney World. I assume there's like an old Irish town or or ye old pub or something like that. This is so bizarre. I can't believe it. I've actually been to Disney World. I should have told you. You knew I was going to go to Disney World. You should have told me to like you know. Well, that was like a couple years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. He just started in like like recently, a couple months ago. Oh man. And then there's a bunch of other ones. So, how did you end up? All right. Okay, so this is your family, and you, you think they, I mean, and you get Oh, home. you'll meet my sisters this week if you want, because they're coming to stay with us on Tuesday. I would love that. That'd be great. I can't believe you let them stay at your house. That's great. I, I know that, like, you've, you've had so many house guests recently, right? And which to me would be, like, my nightmare. I mean, to be, like, in my place with people staying with me for any, like, duration I benefited. Than a day. I benefited from it for so long that I feel it's the, oh, the pay it forward you're concept. giving it back. You're so exactly. right. You are and, so right. And the, and the other thing is, it's, um, you just kind of like go through waves where it's like a lot of people will come and then you're like, okay, our house is unavailable for like four months. And then it's like, okay, we can let people stay That's here again. Nice. It's fine. It's yeah. cozy. Yeah. Okay. And it's big enough to where it's okay. Yeah. Um, oh man. Okay. So you are doing all these things. So you, you, you how, how did you make a living? So you, you're doing, you're DPing the Frank Ross job where I met you. Uh, and then I know you edited Shane Carruth's upstream color yeah right and then you'd stay on his couch and i remember you telling me that he like you knew he was a, a super sweet person because one of the stories you told me was that he like covered you while you're sleeping with a blanket oh, or he something tucked in. he tucked you thing. in that's the cutest story i've ever heard i was heard. like half awake and i was like i just it was it, it was just so sweet i love that um, um with a green screen blanket a green screen i don't even know what that like means. you know if you like have a green screen in the movie and like sometimes you have portable ones that you hold up yeah or, like taped to the wall or whatever it was, everything's related to filmmaking yeah. with you guys um so one track mind so you you edit upstream color um you do it are you like self-taught did you go to college how do you know how to dp edit uh, let's be clear i don't know how to dp yes you do all you, you have to do is watch one of the movies i've shot no you're a beautiful dp all the shots all the stuff i did for you i think i'm very proud of yeah yeah because oh yeah david's referring to we, we did a series of short films i called like boy crazy let's be honest something. like you're easy to light oh fuck you oh, god damn it <laughs> Maybe I am in love with you. I can't believe it. You just, you <laughs> I just had to raise the level, of, you know, just like the sexual tension. Yeah, exactly. Oh my god, that's so weird. Oh yeah, but I, I actually always get scared though that like because our texts are very like uh, you know and, and not intimate, but like you know everything about me and I text you. There's like no, there's no taboos. There's in no the text taboos. Message. I can tell you everything, but sometimes uh, David's wife Augustine will intercept his phone not because she's like looking through his text or jealous or whatever but then she will think it's funny to like text as if she's david and then it's so clear it's not david because it'll be like weird scatological humor that like, it's usually just like saying oh oh crap you won't believe what just happened i shit my pants or just something crazy where i'm like augustine or it's like immediately <laughs> it's very I, obvious or immediately i'm like it's not you but then i started feeling like oh my god like i don't like I, I have my own relationship with Augustine and I like to text her very personal things or I'll listen to whatever she has to say about whatever, you know, like we have like a, I, I have pretty much very honest, uh, intimate relationships with, with everybody. Yeah. That's just how I lead my life. So I have my think my relationship with her I have my relationship with Athena. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have my relationship with you. God forbid I, they cross. I can't have them cross. Like that means like then I don't feel safe. Then there are no boundaries. And then like I was just like, I don't know if I like this. It's it definitely like <laughs> there's been a couple times where I'm just like, yeah, give me my phone back. Yeah. Like it's not like I'm afraid of anything. Like yeah. I was like, look, there's nothing watch- here. It's just like it's crossing a line of of because usually I'll be like, yeah, read my emails, read my texts. I don't have anything to hide. But sometimes it's like not that I have anything to hide, but someone else is like sharing something personal. I feel uncomfortable knowing that. There, that 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 sense of privacy between two people is being broken by, and that's just 
common respect. And then also, if somebody, if somebody, of course, she's always like, "Who are you cheating on me with?" Are you serious? Does she feel that way? I mean, I, you know, it's it's, it's it's a half serious half. That's how I'm in relationships. That's yeah. how I feel when I, I feel. It's, I, I assume it's pretty standard. Um, but well, I mean, I'm jumping all over the place before we get to how you got to uh, being a cool, successful director. What do in, in what do your biz? listeners want to hear more? That stuff or this stuff? I mean, I don't know. Well, I just well, I'm gonna take us forward uh, talking about like jealousy and all that yeah. stuff. Like now you are like oh, because you and I were going to do a project together. Like I was, I remember. I when I sold a show to Showtime and being like, okay, the person I made the short films with, this guy David Lowry, blah blah, oh, yeah. blah like, you know, he's like pivotal, he's so important, he's gonna blow up, you have no idea, and like that just fell on deaf ears. Then the minute like you're mentioned in Variety or like Deadline, Hollywood, whatever, um, people were like, oh, this uh, David Lowry guy, uh, what's that guy all about? And I was like, you guys, I've been telling you the whole time, he's been like, you know, he's just like this fucking like gem, uh, and they're like. I'm just saying that the, the showbiz people, the powers that be were like, uh, they paid attention. Well, they, no, they, they were, they were like, yeah, of course we're interested now. Like, welcome to showbiz. Like this, <laughs> this is how it works. Like now that's great that they were so open about it. Yeah. That. They're like, now he's got some buzz on him. So now he like matters. And that just made me feel so sick. And so like, Oh God. But, uh, but what are you noticing? Because I mean, our girls, like your, your name's out there, you're directing bigger projects with movie stars, movie stars, movie stars, not these like, you know, very, very low budget, uh, movies that you've, that you've made before. So are women throwing themselves at you? Does your, have a, does your wife have a reason to be jealous because all of a sudden these fucking floozies are crawling out of the no, woodwork it, showing it, you their tits? It hasn't happened. <laughs> I mean, that'd be awesome just on a... Stop it. I mean, it'd be like, it'd be kind of like, it's like, wow, that's like, that really happens. But are women like, what are you noticing? You moved from Texas because you're like a good Texas boy. I feel like that's, I mean, Good sorry. Texas Catholic boy. Is that's, that true though? Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm just like... That's why I feel like you're so grounded. Your vibe that you pick up on me is pretty much just how I've been my whole life. It's so and like beautiful. one time when I was 16, my first job was at a movie theater and actually my only job really. But uh, the I was so I spent a few months doing concessions, which I hated because I wanted to be a projectionist. Oh. And that was my goal was to be a projectionist at this movie theater. And I remember this one time these two girls came up to me and were like, can we get your number? Um, or I can't remember. There was like, well, our friend thinks you're really hot. Can we get your number? And she said hot. They used the word hot. Yeah. And they were both really cute too. And in my mind now, I think of them as older, but they were probably like 15 because I was also 15 or 16, whatever age you are allowed to work. I guess it was 16. Okay, cool. I'm glad we got, yeah. <laughs> and we got to the bottom of that. 15, 16. <laughs> it's, it's still like a big day. You know, as, as a 23 year old, 15 and 16 wasn't that far oh away. And, and so I, I uh, I told them I didn't have a phone, which wasn't true, but I was just so caught off guard and didn't know how to respond and didn't think about the implications of being asked for a number that um, that I was like, oh, I just don't have a phone. I'm sorry. So you just couldn't handle girls hitting on you. So you just like imploded. You were just like, basically, I don't have a phone. yeah, basically I didn't. And, and I was just, but I was also just partially oblivious to like the potential of that situation, which is like, you could go on a date. Which at that point I had never been on. Yeah. And for many years after I had never, never went on. Oh, and man. so I was sort of, I'm sort of like, that. I, I feel like there's a chance that I'm not completely oblivious now, but it would take me a while to pick up on things to a certain extent. And, and so if there are girls exposing themselves to me, Please maybe, email I'm, him at... maybe I'm missing it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think that. One time Augustine mailed a pair of panties to me. 
Under an, an alias? Under an alias. Oh my gosh, it was a very to... elaborate April Fool's joke. She's and that was to... <laughs> that was the first time like that. I was like, uh, and it fooled me for a split second. How did you feel? What were you like? Oh my God, I can't believe this. This is great. No, I was like, I was like, I have nothing to do with this. Like, I was like, I've never met. And then I realized very quickly that there was something going on. And it took me a while to figure out. She created a fake f- Facebook profile. I mean, she takes. She created a fake f- Facebook she profile? Takes, I mean, this is something we should just get out on the open here is that she takes April Fool pranks I'm, very seriously. I'm and terrified. you may one day be the butt of one I of them. I don't want to be. I really don't want to be. Because <laughs> I, I actually like she. One time when she emailed, texted me something honest, I thought, am I being pranked? Because I'm already like yeah. feeling like, wait. Oh yeah, sorry. Okay, go on. Yes. So anyway, uh, I mean, there's there. I don't get like there's nothing. My life feels like it hasn't changed, other than that I can pay my bills and I feel like creatively secure in a way. Not like creatively secure. I guess just like I I feel like I've actually managed to make a living doing what I've always wanted to do. Yeah, you're you're so likable too. Here's the thing. I'm not going to say his name, uh, but we have a friend uh, who is. A director. He's successful. But he seems to run into personality disputes every step of the way. You know what I'm talking about. It, We're not saying his name. Yeah, I think that... You never... You are so liked by everybody. You know, uh, execs, like, whatever. You, whatever. How are you able to navigate your career without having... I don't know. You're just I so likable. I think sometimes it would be easier if I was... Not easier, but just like it'd be easier for me if, if I was if I was if I butted heads with people more, because I sort of have a just grin and bear it disposition. But does do you like uh, compromise your work? I'm learning how not to. Like oh, there, you, there, I have in the past. I've like with. We don't with, have to name projects. No, they ain't the body saints. I seriously compromise that. You're saying that right because now. I we just, can always edit this. No, I'm 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 very, I'm very open about That's it. It's a like, Weinstein project, though, right? They. Did foreign distribution? Okay, well, I don't want to step on the line. I'm, I'm like worried. I'm, I'm you're, I can tell you're my best friend because I'm like, we are not hurting this career. <laughs> no, this career could help me. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. But it was me. It was like it wasn't like you know you, you get like feed you get notes from people you get like advice from 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 folks. I mean, Harvey Weinstein gave me a bunch of notes that were great, and he gave me some that I disagreed with, and and I I uh, and he was one of many because we had a lot of producers on that film and. And uh, I loved his great notes. He made some of the parts of the movie much better. And then, but then various notes from various other people, like you just try to please too many people and you wind up watering something down and then being unhappy with it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and so i I know that it's good to listen and to take advice from people, but to also know what it is you're making and to know when a note or a piece of advice or a helpful hint might lead you astray from what you actually want to do yeah and that's just something and so when you when you have like a disposition that is more confrontational i feel like you are more uh resolute in what you want and if someone suggests something you're much less eager to try to make them happy as opposed to yourself so that's that's the that's the plus side of that um but i also you know i i do think that being friendly helps. I mean, even on a, you know making a movie with a crew, like if you have the crew like you, that's great. Yeah. If you can get a, if you can figure out a way to navigate the all of the different attitudes and and opinions and suggestions and all of the things that you have to navigate in this career or probably any career without 
like being, you know, me, 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 not me, 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 but but just like, even if you're trying to, even if you have to, um, do something you don't like, figure out a way to do it without it, without grumbling about it, because then you can, if you can do it gracefully, you can also sort of like get what you want back in a way. It's just, I mean, I'm figuring this all out, but there's a way to do it without actually, there's a way, like if you get bad news, there's a way to take that bad news gracefully that then allows you to get back on top of it and turn that bad news into good news and to make lemons into lemonade and yeah, well i also feel like maybe because you have you're the you, you know i'm an only child so what i struggle with maybe you know you come from a big family and you've got eight other siblings there's a tendency instead of i, I know that I, in the past when i've gotten notes for like tv things or whatever i'm just so quick to like even the fact that i'm getting a note i'm already like vigilant and i'm already upset yeah. and I've i've had to like kind of work my way out of that and just kind of be more graceful and, and be like, okay, well, let the person be heard. Just say thank you so much for the notes. I'm going to, you know, I don't know. There's like a nicer way to handle all of it. But it, uh, It's definitely like it, there's, it's never not like a like, – like, like to take the example of getting notes on a script because uh, that's probably the most common thing in our industry. And then whether it's a script or the edit of the film itself or whatever it may be, you get a – you know, sort of punch in the gut and you sort of, get, I get riled up and I'm just like, like, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. Why would I, I would never do this. This is going to ruin everything. I quit. I quit. I quit. Yeah. And, and so that always happens and never doesn't happen. And then you sort of, but then like you can either like maintain that level of ferocity and venom or you can kind of just breathe and let it go and figure out, okay, this person's got an opinion. I disagree with it. Maybe I'm in a position where I don't have to take their note and I can just be like, I don't, I disagree, respectfully disagree. Mm-hmm. If you're in a certain position, maybe you have to take that note and, or you have to at least try to. And, and then you just kind of like unpack it and figure out a way to do it that might make everybody happy. And the great thing is sometimes you actually make the movie better. The movie better. Do you feel like, and then also, if you, even though you said maybe you watered down in the body saints, I don't know if I don't want to, yeah, put I mean, words in your mouth, but. In a way, it's like then you get an opportunity because maybe you went with the flow. Hopefully, you didn't compromise your your artistic uh, integrity too much. I mean, that's not the goal because you want to uh, be proud of yourself and yeah. be able to look at yourself in the mirror. And but then you get the opportunity to make another movie. And then is the goal to like keep making movies until you get to the point where you can go, "Hey, fuck your notes." Do you know what I mean? Like, you, I mean, not like you that. know, like still be graceful. Yeah, you'll I mean, never not be graceful. I mean, I think you get to the point where I mean, you, you're either a director who has final cut which is a good and bad thing in some regards. But I think um, Michael Mann says that it's like the moral right of filmmakers to have final cut. And I sort of agree with that. But I also agree with, you know, if someone is giving you, you know, anywhere from 20000 to $200 million to make a movie, you sort of should try to listen to their perspective because they're trusting you. And you just, as a good collaborator. Yeah. But it's so annoying when they're not creative at all. It's you know it's 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 just uh, <laughs> they just want to say and it's their ego. It's like two egos. You wanting to have complete control and and you know I'm the creative person and then these people with money where you're like you need their money and they want to be heard yeah. but they're like bonehead. I mean it's sort of it's sort of just the the That's infrastructure and we're not like if we were in like a, a patron situation where like a patron benefactor situation where like film was an art form and you have a benefactor who's like. 
whatever you want. And there are filmmakers that have that. There are filmmakers who make films that way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I gotta find my benefactor. Yeah. If they, but but that would be great because then you could just you do whatever you want and be like, well, it's my art. This is what it is, and, yeah. if you, and you're paying for it. Like you don't have a say. You're just making it happen. Um, but by and large, film doesn't work that way um, in this country and, or in the world. And so you just sort of have to figure out that weird balance of art and commerce. And it's weird because it, it is weird. It's like it's like it is something that doesn't make sense on a on a financial level to make movies that are artistic. Some people want to go see them. Well, maybe not that many. But maybe if you but then that means you have to stick to the hundred fifty thousand dollar model, right? Well, no, I think you. Here's what's great about movies is that there is prestige, and there is I think everybody, even the most unartistic you know, uh, Wall Street business film investor kind of guy wants to be a part of something great. Yeah. And so they also want to make money. So that's why movies that, you know, like all the superhero movies that are dominating the box office, they make a lot of money. That's great. If this was a purely um, commercial industry, that's all that would get made. Those and comedies and things that prove to make a lot of money. Star Wars movies. Like, it would basically just be all Star Wars all the time. I feel like that one's different, though, because it's connected to, like, childhood, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, we feel romanticism. That. We feel that way, but... Oh, but then you're creating that for the new generation, You're creating right? that for the new generation, but nonetheless. Like, okay, go on. It's a $200 million movie that is designed to make billions of dollars and sell merchandise. Yeah. And it's got a historical place and nostalgia and all but that. But it's essentially a commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Got it. Keep going. And uh, and so that, you know, if, if this was purely commercial industry, that's all people would make. But because people want to be part of something great and something that will last and endure and feel like a statement, they also make movies that are quote unquote art movies or uncommercial movies or, you know, all these hedge funds, fun movies that probably won't make that much money at the box office. But because they suggest the possibility of artistic triumph are nonetheless made. And that's a beautiful thing. I love that this industry allows encompasses all of those things do you there's this book called the hopeful no the rational optimist have you heard about this book no okay well forget it let's just put a pin in that i like that term it's called the rational optimist i was talking about that with another uh, a guest um two guests ago wayne fetterman but uh because i get into arguments with filmmaker friends of mine uh who are like totally pessimistic about the future like some people are like no this is great technology and you can make a movie on your iphone and like it doesn't matter that movies are being stolen on the internet and like and art films aren't going to be able to be made uh because of all this pirating um they're really down on that other people are like no it's going to make way for something better and it's not uh you shouldn't be so pessimistic where do you stand on that because do you think that like because of pirating and because of the way things are going, which is like blockbuster, you know, movies or that's it. I like, zoned out there for a second. Did you really? I'm sorry. No, I, just wanna, I just want to be honest. No, me too, because it's so loud downstairs. Well, I also, also <laughs> I started, I, I just randomly was like, oh, wait, did I pay for parking for two hours or one hour? And then I was like, I did two hours. It's good. <laughs> God. Yeah, fuck it. This is like it's. I mean, this is not the. Bre- <laughs> this is not the Brett Easton Ellis podcast, which is also a great podcast. It is a great podcast, um, but it's it's we're talking about those types of things. And- oh wait, side note. Oh my god. Okay, it is really loud. Nobody else can hear it. People out there, the right. listeners can't hear how loud it is. Right? It's just living in my. You guys, what we do for Love Alexi podcast is to tune out the Magic the Gathering tournament. Is, is there a Magic no. the Gathering tournament? <laughs> I know there probably are. Sometimes. Oh my goodness. Um, oh wait, side note, just going back to before we like talk about the state of cinema, cinema or whatever, which I can barely uh, comprehend or. You were asking a really good question. I just, it was my fault. Thanks a lot. Thanks Sorry. a lot. 
you clearly hate women, all right? And you don't respect me. Get Man. out. I can't find it. It just went there. How did this turn yeah. so abruptly? Um, side note, I just remembered how, um, how this is about Augustine. This is about David's wife again. But I'm not going to name names. But years ago, I was uh, at a party, a little get-together with David Lowry and a group of his friends. Some of them were fancy friends. There was an actress there, just some actress, whatever. She's beautiful. And uh, she knows David. And I'd never met her. I was just talking to David a lot, right? Talking to him a lot. We're very close. She didn't know this. So she got a little bit pissed. Not pissed, but she pulled over another actor friend of hers and said, hey, who's this girl? Referring to me, Alexi. Who's this girl? Is David Lowry going to cheat on his wife with this girl? Who's this girl he's talking to? That information somehow got back to your wife, Augustine, right? It did. I get a text from Augustine saying, hey, Lexi, heard you were coming on to David, real story, or something like that. This is like years ago. This was at the Chateau Marmont of all places. Okay, we're not trying to give all the details away. But yes, I like to reference the Chateau Marmont. Yeah, I know, that's why I oh, oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. Oh, yeah, oh, oh you're a long-time listener, first-time yep. caller. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so I get this text from Augustine. I immediately call her back. I take it from text to phone call, and I go, Augustine, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I would never do that. David is my friend. I don't know where you heard this information. I thought the actress called up Augustine, somehow got her number to report my wrongdoing to, to, uh, to her. Turns out you, David Lowry, had heard that... Uh, I mean, the story is going nowhere fast. Yes, I'd heard, I'd heard that the... You'd heard that rumbling yes. from the two actors. Like, the guy actor said, hey, David, uh, so, so-and-so, this actress girl was jealous of... Uh, was pissed off at Alexi because she thought she was, uh, you know, flirting with you. And you were all thought that was so funny that you told that story to your wife, making her jealous. So you're the big instigator. You know what I mean? I was, like, You yes. got yourself in trouble and got me in trouble for no reason uh, because of some weird to-do at the Chateau Marmont that wasn't even real or based in reality. I didn't mean to get you in trouble. Okay. But I did – this goes back to that, you know, trying to keep an open door policy in our relationship. Open door policy? Uh, maybe that's the wrong term. Wait, you and Augustine have an open door policy? I in terms do... of information, not in terms of our relationship. Oh, got it. Okay, cool. Jeez, that was that a close really, one. Yeah, that really, like, all, all this, of a sudden... All, all, of, all, all these, like, 17-year-old like, the actresses. <laughs> suddenly changed. <laughs> They're all looking for email yes. testing, like, I love you, David. Put me in your movies. Exactly. Yeah. The, no, it was... It, I just try to be very open about information to be like, you know, there's nothing duplicitous ever going on. And so I just thought it was amusing... And and I've told you about this before, like that's happened to me at a film festival where some girl told me she loved me and I told Augustine. Oh, my because God. Because I was like, it was just, you... she told me that. And oh, I was like, my God. What a monster you are. And just... but I didn't think about it in terms of like, I was like, you know, if you trust me, you're not going to, you're going to know that I'm just like, oh, I just think it's amusing. I wonder what's better, though. I guess that is funny. But then at what point do you go, maybe I shouldn't report this because nothing is going on i shouldn't tell this to my wife because it well, only upset her yeah i'm learning like pick and choose your battles and like i think before you might yeah uh, you know make her feel uncomfortable i'm i'm learning but sometimes it is just fun but i kind it is fun you like, fucking like, monster well it is because like i know what you know you you learn what buttons you can push and which ones are the right ones which ones are the wrong ones and which ones are in between and sometimes those in between ones are just kind of like Amusing. You're like one. You're like a girl who goes out to a bar with her with her boyfriend, starts a, a bar brawl, and then like ducks out of getting in the fight, and then goes and pushes the boyfriend into the mix, and goes like, "You take care of this," or like, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, yes, and and 
And to a certain extent, you started the fight, and I'm, then all of a sudden, your, your your wife's coming after me with like yeah. a baseball bat. But but I actually but respect. She loves you. I know I love her too so much. That's why I'm talking about this. If I was scared of her, I would just <laughs> not mention her at all. But I actually respected her because I thought, wow, she's fucking, she's looking after her man. Like, but she also, I think, called you or texted you in a in a joking fashion. Did she? She she was because that is I was my I was like so I must be guilty of something. Maybe I do love you. I think I probably love you. <laughs> And that's why I felt all this guilt, and I had to write that wrong. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, whatever the tone of her text was, like she was like, like ex, you know, exaggerating the ire that she felt towards you because Jesus. she just thought it was a, a good opportunity to. Well, also it's funny because uh, now you guys live here, so you moved here from Texas to Los Angeles, from Dallas. To we Los picked Los- our neighborhood because we're like three blocks blocks from Alexa. Don't tell people where we live. I'm not. All right, cool. Top I just say we live nearby. We live near. I know. Thank yeah. God, you almost didn't live near near me, and now I can just like walk to your house whenever, yeah. which is like my dream. Um. But uh, it must have been weird because you'd be traveling all the time and you were coming to L.A. all the time. Your wife was in Texas still. So now you're uh, – so, you know, I'd, I'd probably feel antsy and want to, you know, know what's going on with my, with my husband. Um, how is it different now that you've moved to Los Angeles from Texas? Like, I mean, I'm just one of those – I, I feel terrible about it, but I just sort of cocaine don't. all the time. Uh, yeah, just with coke all yeah. the time. I feel terrible <laughs> oh about my it. God, you're so getting fire from the Disney. Yeah, movie. no, no. One time on Facebook as a joke. Oh no! I wrote, "Well, just tried cocaine for the first time." <laughs> no, you didn't. Just as a dare, it was like a, it was like two a.m. Like I like I, I, I told Oxygen and did you dare me to do this? Because I've never I've never tried it. Good. And I posted it. And I was like, that's a horrible idea and deleted it right away. But I was like, that's out there now. Like somewhere someone saw that and yeah. thinks that that was true. And and I, I was like, OK, now I, I it was a good lesson in social media because it didn't even come back to bite me. It was just the fact that all of a sudden was out there for like 10 seconds. Yeah. Like that's. Oh, that's a terrible idea. That's a careful. terrible thing I just did. I, I had a I, I did an interview with one of my friends and uh, like we talked about sex and dating and blowjobs and all this whatever. This was just kind of candid, silly interview with a friend of mine, and then he ended up on uh, in some like Google commercial. They did a profile on him, and it's like this big Google commercial. And he, like before that came out, he was like, "I need you to take that video down." Okay, <laughs> there Google is coming out. They're going to do a sweep, and you better. And I think that's a real thing because now like. Even every text, every even every like on Instagram, I keep trying to fucking. Sorry, I'm cursing. The storm it must be all this coffee, but I I uh, I keep hammering in the the idea to men because I'm kind of trying to subconsciously consciously let them know that like they need to not like disgusting things on on Instagram because I just get jealous. Oh, yeah, yeah, all yeah. men, I, all yeah. men, I don't want you to like sexy weird things on on Instagram because you can just you can look at it, you can jerk off to it, but like people can see what you like like you're always leaving a trail there's a trail everywhere yeah. so so your cocaine post you know who knows who screen grabbed that exactly but um exactly so but you haven't noticed any big difference like moving from texas I mean, no okay so what i was saying was i i feel very i'm very much just a lackadaisical like kind of in the moment sort of person yeah and so when i was working here like i spent most of 2013 working here and just being like, oh, I want to get back to Texas. And it was definitely like, I want to get back to Texas because I want to get home. Yeah. And Augustine's there. The cats are there. The cats. And, and so cats. I really, but but now that we're here, it's sort of like, oh, this is just like we're in Texas. I just don't have to leave to go home anymore. Like, it's like a short drive. I'm working like in the same building and and I just drive home instead of like flying home. And Are you kind of a robot in the sense where you said, I remember you telling me like you... Even if you go to New Zealand, if you wherever you're flying, you're going to go shoot a movie, you do something, uh, you don't miss people. If you're away from your friends for a long period of time, 
I don't mean to lump Augustine into the mix. We can always edit this out if this makes you uncomfortable. But you said you you don't miss people, right? It's true, and I, I, I wonder it's a flaw. I think no, but maybe it's actually a superpower. But like, what do you mean by that exactly? Like, it's that I don't feel that there's a sense of separation. Like, I feel like, and that's a huge part because of technology. I mean, that's just one of those things. It's like I know what everyone's up to. I don't have a Facebook account, but Instagram's plenty. Mm-hmm. And and uh, you, I don't know. I just like. I always have the feeling that I will see them again. Yeah. And I don't have great. that feeling that, that, you know, I, I hate saying goodbye because there's that sense of finality to it. And it's always like, I'll always see that person again. And I, even if like I was like 90 and every meeting I had with an old friend was probably going to be the last one because both of us might die at any point, I still would like have that feeling of like, I wouldn't want to accept that feeling that this might be the last time with my grandparents, for example, who are, who are older and, there, you know, every now and I think like, gosh, every time I see them, that might be the last time I see them. It's just a fact of life. But I just kind of choose to ignore that because I don't want to make the moments like more precious than they need to be or more weighted than they need to be with, yeah. with sentiment. I want them to be just happy and like, yeah, I can't wait to come visit you next year. Yeah. Maybe in that year something will happen. You won't be around anymore. Maybe I won't be around anymore. But nonetheless, like I don't want that to invade my day-to-day life. Yeah. Oh, so you are a passionate person. You're not a cold robot. No, I just, yeah, I I just don't, it's just, I'm I'm just pretty like content, pretty content. And I, and I feel like I've got a great circle of friends and they're not going anywhere. And yeah, my, my world might rock horribly one day and I'll deal with it. But in the meantime, uh, but, but, but there is another thing too, which is like when I was away from Augustine, I didn't feel like I was away from her. I didn't didn't like, I didn't like feel like, oh, I miss you. I missed the comforts of home and I missed like having, you know, waking up next to her and just having all the normal routines. I'm a creature of habit, but I didn't like physically long to be in her presence because I'd never felt like her presence was far away from me. She's like the the third. She's like the other guest on the show. She's just not here. Exactly. Or just, yeah. this is like turned into all. The, well, so what is what does Augustine get mad at you for? Because I think that's a, a good question to like see what kind of husband boyfriend you are in a relationship. What does she typically get mad at you for? Um, hurting her feelings. How do you hurt her feelings? By being selfish and by being inconsiderate. <laughs> How are you inconsiderate? Well, just the other day, for example. I'm so mad at you already. I'm like taking yeah. your side. I can't believe you did this to us. She, I love you. <laughs> her film's playing at South By. And she was texting me saying, and you know, I was like, I don't think I can go for the whole time because we'll be doing our something on the movie. I can't remember what. And but I want to go for the weekend. And she was texting me about getting plane tickets for that weekend. And was like, well, do you think you know for sure you'll be there and which weekend you'll go and and I was like I can't commit to that just yet and and then she got mad because I was not committing to being there for the premiere of her short film and I didn't even think about that I didn't think about it in those terms and that's what was always the case and then I get mad because I was like I wasn't doing anything well you're just you know trying to make your money and do your job and well there's that and and she was like well you committed other things and I'm like to be honest like I don't like I wait till the last minute just because I'm a very non-committal person I know that drives her crazy because she's a planner and she likes to have a solid plan, and I don't. And uh, and out of you know those differences, like if you try to force me to make a plan, I push back and and get more noncommittal. Is that what happened with our podcast? I feel this clicked into place real fast. Yeah, probably because you're in love with me. Augustine was right. I can't believe this. It's all come full circle. Truth is out. <laughs> I like throw all the microphones <laughs> to the side and throw myself on the table. Anyway, what were you saying? The the fact of the matter is that I do have a problem with being 
single-minded and selfish and, okay. and inconsiderate, but I never, it's not intentional. There's no malice on my part. It's just that I'm just like on a one track mind and I just kind of don't think about others sometimes. Well, I mean, God, you married her. That's committal, right? Yeah, isn't it? I yeah. mean, how did you propose? I had a big elaborate proposal planned out. Oh, but Jesus. It, but what? It didn't work out because she, um, I was, it was at the airport because so much of our courtship was based on me. I mean, we were shooting one of your short films, and I was texting. You remember we were, yeah. Anyway, that was, I know it, well, that's important. Yeah, David and I, and I were shooting our short films. It's like boy crazy web series, whatever the fuck it was like little. We were shorts. like at a Target parking lot in the valley. Yeah, we were stealing locations in Studio City uh, on Ventura Boulevard, and something happened with sound or something. So we were trying to fix the microphones, and you were just like texting nonstop, texting nonstop. Turns out you were texting with Augustine because you guys had dated a long time ago, and then you rekindled your relationship. And we're te- sending texts back and forth. And then when I was watching your film, Anthem Body Saints, seen it more than once. You guys should too. Anyway, um, but I remember the, like, the love letters between uh, Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck. Casey Affleck. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, wh- why did he write this story? What is this about? Where did this come from? In any way, was your correspondence between the correspondence between you and Augustine? Was that kind of like what the letters were between Rooney Mara and Yeah, Casey? that was like 100% that. See? And I, I get you. Because we were like, we were Best writing. Friends. We didn't write that many like mailed letters. Like of we did we did a couple didn't. of those. You but did? Yeah. Oh, wow. And we sent each other like mixed CDs and all that jazz. No nudes though, right? No. Good. Keep um, going. But we were just writing really long letters to each other on um, email. So and how did you propose? So I proposed at, she, I was, I was, I think I was here probably. And I flew back to Dallas and... She picked me up at the airport. My plan was to have the ring come, like the bag, the baggage pickup. Oh my god, I'm already the, stressed. Have this. the ring come around. So I'd like when she got there, I was gonna just, dis- or no, even before she got there, I was just, like, I was gonna trust that no one would take it. It was like a really late flight. I was in at eleven <laughs> o'clock. There were people there. Just have the ring on the baggage carousel and be like, oh, I have one more thing to pick up. Oh, here it comes, and it would be the ring coming. I around. love that. But she was late to pick me up, and uh, and like really late. And so then it ended up just happening out. She like pulled up and was like, I'm finally here. And we just did on like, uh, I proposed on the curb and you did. Yeah. And she had worn like a Catholic schoolgirl outfit as a joke. That's very sexy. <laughs> That's so sexy. Yeah. She keeps it sexy. Um, so where does that come to play? Did you get on one knee? I didn't because it was so like, it, it, like you just threw it at her forehead. I did, and you're yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. I, I did it. I, and, uh, and it, cause it, cause like the elaborate plan had gone so far out the window that it kind of just went, and rubber banded to the opposite direction like of just here. being like, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. No, no, she, like, we just, she just popped out of a car. She hugged me and I was like, oh, by the way. And was like, will you marry me? And, um, and, and she said, yes. And she said, yes. So yeah. we, how long had you guys been dating the second round of like dating? Eight months, maybe eight months. And you proposed. Yeah. So how did a noncommittal guy like you, uh, like, how did you decide you, did you guys, had you guys talked about it or how did you decide you wanted to do this? We had talked about it a little bit and or a lot maybe, but it just felt right. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Like, it was just, I, I'd never thought I was going to get married. And then all of a sudden I was like, yep, this feels like the right thing to do. How come? I want to know, like, what went on in your brain? What do you mean? And, okay, go on. Yeah, sorry. I'm too excited. I don't know. I just, I, it was just one of those things that clicked and was like, yeah, I want to just spend the rest of my life with this person. Does it make you calmer? Like, oh, I can check that off the list. Like, you don't have to worry about, like, I mean, I don't see you as like this dating Lothario Casanova at like the club, like some SNL sketch or something like that totally dude. Me. That is so not you, would never be you, has never been you. But I dated you, so infrequently. You like did? I was like not a I didn't like 
Oh I've God. not been in many relationships. Like I just hadn't. And I was very, you know, I'm, I was massively introverted, hugely shy, terrified of girls and all that jazz. How old were you when you lost your virginity? None of my business. Tell me everything. 19. All right. That's cool. Nine, that's... 19 or 20. I just turned 20. You just turned 20. I heard that, that if you're 20 when you lose your virginity, you have a lot of like anger towards women because you think they're... It took so long. It took so long. Maybe that's totally wrong. I don't know where I heard that from like Christopher Ryan or something. That like sounds wrote, terrible. That sounds like yeah, a lie. I you're a great guy. Yeah, I don't one, believe that. Me neither. We don't need to believe what we it don't want It was partially out of respect for women that I was like Thank waited. You. It was because I didn't want to just like... I didn't want to have, like, just a fling. I wanted to have, like, a romance. And Augustine kind of came after you, right? Because she had to, like, be the, not aggressor, but she had to. Yeah, she was the second person I ever dated. She's the second. Oh, yeah, but then you revisited it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, but she was, she initiated, right? Yes. Because I have all these dumb thoughts and rules in my brain, which is keeping me from getting a David Lowry, everybody. This is my own problem. I'm my own worst enemy. Because I have this idea, like, well, I'm a loud mouth. I have all my thoughts and feelings, and I make them known. Uh, so I need a guy who's... But I want to be feminine yeah. and be have the guy initiate. You want to be pursued. I want to be yeah. pursued. But Augustine pursued you. That's it worked so, out great. And it worked out perfect. I mean, that's like, like even in our day-to-day life, like it's she just, has to take the initiative to get things done a lot of time because I'm just like not. But like, doesn't she get annoyed? Doesn't she get annoyed? Because yeah. she's like, yeah, yeah, oh, that's why. But okay, but going back to the, the tickets and the fighting about the South By, congratulations to her for getting her yeah, short film great. into the South By. It's really awesome. Movie. And uh, two filmmakers in the house. Um do but you are it's because you're working right is it because you're working that you can't commit to going yeah like it's like i've got a calendar with like you know it was like this week all the way till the end of may when the movie's done like saying like here's what's going on so it's not personal you just put you and you put do you put work first you have you have to put work i do that's just me i I just do yeah it's because i love what i do i mean it's like i'm not it's not work i mean it is right now because it's like a lot of grueling like you know the the stuff that's not as fun but like but I care about what I do and it's what I love and, and I'm doing it. And, and so it comes first. And that's just always been the case for me. Um, oh, I heard a story from, from, uh, oh, oh, I think it was Jade, maybe your, your production designer about how I don't mean to out you or make you feel funny, but you were directing Robert Redford. Yeah. And she said, you're a little bit self-conscious when you were directing Robert Redford, uh, on Peach Dragon, because when you first get, went up to him to come direction, you were like, Excuse me, Mr. Redford. Um, I mean, if you want to do this, you can. Or like, what? What, what happened? It was. It was. She told me too because I, I don't remember. But she was like, she went to see Dailies that day, and she was like, you went up and gave him direction, and then we were like, if it's okay with you, if it's okay like, with you. <laughs> and what did he say to that? Well, he just. It was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a he's great. And uh, was it scary though? Was it scary to? Be I didn't like... think it was, but then like in retrospect, like I was like, oh yeah, obviously I was very nervous. So were the biggest stars you'd ever work with. Uh, like the, were Rooney Mara, Casey Affleck, Ben Foster, and then yeah. Robert Redford, yeah, and Bryce Dallas. Hart. Like so that, so that, it all just kind of happened with your with those two movies, yeah. And so, like, what did you notice you had to do as a director, like internally? I mean, were you self conscious? Were you shy? Were, did you feel like a fraud? Or did you feel like I'm just this person? And or were you like really strong in in knowing who you are and that you belong? There's there? a little bit of, of of like when you work with actors who you've seen in a lot of movies a little bit of like that self-consciousness that comes in and you just wonder like well they've done this so much like they must know more than i do about it and in many cases they do like they've done bigger movies and they know that process but at the same time you know they're they're great actors and they know that they're there to act and they're there to get direction from me so it's sort of my the the, the onus is on me to step up and to do my job Mm -hmm. and 
and there really wasn't any difference between working with any one of any one of them uh, of the actors you mentioned and working with folks who had were not actors because I've done a lot of work with not actors before other than the fact that they were professional and, and were able like, Oh like, yeah, you need me to memorize this monologue you gave me two seconds ago. Sure. I'll go do it. Yeah. Um, but they, but it really comes down to personality. Like I just like working with certain types of people and, and, and I was lucky enough to find a bunch of actors who were great personality fits. Now working with Robert Redford is different because he is Robert, Robert Redford and he's, he's older and he's an elder statesman of cinema, you might say. But at the same time, he's very down to earth, and uh, and so you gotta find the right balance. Like he, he does, you know, doesn't like to come to set and wait around. So you want to figure out a way to like make sure you're using his time properly. But at the same time, he loves to just chat and talk to the crew and and get to know people. And so it, in long story short, I was very nervous. In retrospect, looking back on it, I remember that day, that, the first day he had on set, just feeling sick the whole day, and I just assumed it was because of. Um, just the nerves of making that movie. I remember that was a big car chase day and a tough scene. And but I think it was actually just I was really nervous about him. So you said you love what you do. Yeah. Um. So you you're in this lucky position where you get to do not lucky because you work no, really is, hard. But it is lucky. But but you work very hard and you are very talented. It's not like you just you know. But there's this quote. That I always bring up that Steven Soderbergh had in his first book about what? making sex lives and videotape, which he said the the the, uh, the equation that he believes is to be true is uh, talent plus perseverance equals luck. Talent plus perseverance equals luck. I'm still waiting. This is. The- I think. <laughs> I think. That, I think that's completely accurate. No, you're yeah. so right. It's like uh, because I. I mean, just looking at my own life, I just I have the weirdest life where it's like p- compiled, comprised of like all these different things under the same umbrella. And some, and sometimes I dread like interviews, like I, I prepare for them, believe it or not, you know, whatever, like I prepare notes and, you know, I'm an actress and I go on auditions and I do, I just do all these different things. Um, and life would be so much easier if I was just, if I would just be content with like opening an ice cream store, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or working in a restaurant. I, I don't know, but I feel compelled to do this. Things where you're not putting yourself out there too, like where, where it's not about you like if you were to open an ice cream store there's like a very like tried and true recipe for success in that which is like find a good location and do something innovative and mm-hmm. and it's working a you know and it's working a business but it's not like putting yourself putting out yourself there. out there so what do you think compels you like why what is this mysterious thing you were born to your to your parents and your all your other siblings but there's only one david lowry and you we're willing to sleep on couches, be tucked in by Shane Carruth, um, and just keep going despite the, you know, you were really broke at times, you know, like only, it's only recent, like you have, sorry, I'm not, I don't mean to no, like out, out everything I meant to you. mention earlier, like when yeah, we like, did Audrey the Trainwreck, I was like, Frank, do you think you could like I mean, find enough money to like rent the camera for me? Yeah. And it was like 750 bucks and that was probably all the money I had for like the rest of the year. Seriously. <laughs> and I've been in situations like that too. And you're the only person who really knows that about me where it's like there are moments where it's like despite what your Instagram curated curated life might look like, like, you know, I've been really broke. You've been really broke. What compelled you? What is this mysterious thing that made forced you to keep going doing what you do? Like isn't it weird that, that you just want to have this? This is the life yeah. you chose for yourself. Why? It's it's sort of like part of it is that sense of, you know, that childhood dream of of creating something magical, 
And that's and then that's very literally just movies, like just being like, I want to do that thing that you know, I go see Star Wars at that age. And see, it all comes back to, comes Star, back to Wars. Star Wars. It's yeah, important. exactly. It is true. That's that's very good to point. But like, is that? Wait, wait, tell me why you chose this field. Well, I just thought it would be cool. Like when I was a little kid, I was like, I want to do that. I saw how they made the special effects and how they did things, and I was like, that looks great. There's some there's a sense of like magic and wonderment, not just to the movies, but to the process in which they're made. And I just was just entranced by it and wanted to do that. And so I decided to do that. And you just, you know, you figure out your ways. Like I didn't go to film school, but you just figure out how to do it. And and at a certain point, you reach a stage in your life where I think everyone must reach this with whatever their, their initial passion was, whatever that may be, where it either makes sense or it doesn't to keep doing it. And did you – because you got validation along the way too. Is that part of it where people get, be like, you're yeah. good at what you're doing? You get validation, but like validation isn't going to – pay your bills you know so you've kind of had to reach that point where you're like i mean i think some people click into it earlier like you see people who are like in their right out of college in their 20s and they just figure out how to make a living doing what they like doing and other people like me where it was like i have a choice of either like doing something else or keep i'll keep doing this and just be very uncomfortable for a long time financially speaking. yes yeah yeah and and the truth is there's nothing else I want to do and nothing else I could do because I don't have any other talents. So, I mean, I can kind of break off my movie making abilities into like saying, oh, I could go edit, which I did for a while. Or I could go you did not like shoot that, right? reality TV, which people do a lot. Oh. But you feel like at a certain point, you're like, you're going to just like, I know, I know too many people who have gone and done that and that's all they do now. Like they go and they edit corporate videos and they make a great living and they have a good life. But like and they give up the dream. But that's not what they wanted to do. Don't you feel that way about commercial directors? Like people get very successful as, as a commercial director, but all they want to do is make a feature and then they never do that because they get so comfortable in their life. Maybe. I don't know any commercial directors, but I do want to direct some commercials. Of course. Well, no, it feels like well, fun. But that's yeah. the other way when you're like a, like a Bennett Miller or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And then you're like, I'm going to swoop in and do this commercial. Maybe yeah. he did commercials first. Spike Jones did commercials and music videos first, but whatever. Anyway, I don't even know what my point was with any of this. Well, it was all just we – were, we were talking about like why – Oh, what were we talking oh, about? How like, you got, how, what, what was this compulsion to what, keep, to keep to do doing this? it? Yeah, yeah. It really, it really is. A, I mean, there's a. I have a belief in the art form. I believe its value, and I question it constantly. Even last night, I was like, I was like, what do movies matter in the long run? And and then I think like, you know what? Like, oh, you know, what? I was watching this movie this morning called Anesthesia that Tim Blake Nelson did with Kirsten Stewart, and there's a part where, um. It's uh, Corey Stoll, who I love because he is bald like me and he's so <laughs> handsome. I just love him. And he's talking about his failed marriage to Gretchen Mull. And he's like, all we did was talk about movies and not about the plans we needed to talk about, you know, as a, as a married couple. And I was like, that's so great. That, that sounds like, great. <laughs> that they talked about movies. And I was like, what a great thing. Like, movies are the thing that people talk about. And it's something that you talk about and it's something that you relate to your life. And like just that little snippet of dialogue that I saw three hours ago in this movie. That I read on iTunes and I was like, I was like, that is why I do it because like it's something that people can talk about and it gives them something to, it gives me as someone who talks about movies all the time, like something to, to contextualize life in. And so, oh, yeah. so I love that and I really value that. And I think, you know, I get, I go, I get down these horrible wormholes of thinking in universal terms of saying, well, in so many billions of years, the sun is going to turn into a red giant and engulf the earth and then the earth will be gone and then the universe is going to collapse and what's going to be left of anything I did and then I have to be like 
well, if I think about things in that way, nothing matters. But I really want to go buy this poster to hang on my wall. And I had to like focus on that. Like I say, okay, I want to put something on my wall that's pretty, that has no consequence to anything, but it makes me happy in the moment. And, and so I'm trying to get more into that zone of like doing, I'm like, why do I need to buy new clothes? The world's not going to exist in a billion years. That's but I need to have new clothes, so I'm going to go buy them. Well, that's the thing. Then it becomes about the experience because it's like, yes, of course, we're all just going to die. It's just a question of when and how yes. and nothing really matters. And you can either go, well, fuck it. Nothing matters. I'm just going to kill myself or I'm going to you know, not do anything and not engage. Or you can go, fuck it. We're going to die. I'm going to go full throttle. Yeah, I want to experience every experience. And also just like to think about like, you know, like in I want to have the experience of doing it. But I also like, you know, in the moment, this completely plastic entity that is a movie which used to be plastic because it was made on film but now it's uh digital files they actually matter and the you know it's like i won't be alive to see whatever media comes after where right now it's blu-rays and itunes whatever comes next it'll be something different but like the movies will probably last for a little bit longer and uh and who knows what'll happen but i don't i won't be alive to see their decay they'll be around for probably as long as i'm alive but to be affected by a film, if you make a film that affects somebody and some little teenage kid or some kid, little kid finds like a whatever in whatever form, a D, not a DVD, whatever, like, you know, if you die, some kid watches a movie you made, I right? I found this download laying in the dirt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, just like streaming right through me. But anyway, but uh, and is affected by your movie, you affect his take on the world, his consciousness, his experience to life. He feels less alone because of something you've made, yeah. perhaps. You know, you... The reason I love film, so, so it does matter. So it, it does. does affect. It doesn't matter like when the, what's going to happen. That's on your business. What's going to happen with I the rest of the world? I also believe in a very like altruistic way and idealistic way that like one little change in it's the cosmos effect. has a ripple effect. So like maybe something I do like if, if I could, if if I have integrity in what I do and just try to do good work and try to make good things that will matter to people, maybe one little thing will like make someone think about something differently and they will. Like, let's use the example of the movie I saw this morning where Corey Stoll's wife stops drinking. And maybe if I had an alcohol problem and I watched that, I'd be like, I need to quit drinking. And I quit drinking. And then, like, that makes my child's life better. And then that child grows up and has a better life. And then they become present. You know, Completely. Th- that's a great way to look at it. Probably isn't going to happen, but it might. Oh, well, but that's, but th- that's but, not but, your job Yeah, to it's know. not my job to know. It's like, I, I just, that's why I think it's valuable to do what we do as entertainers and artists because it might. And can have that effect. Well, I know that I love movies because for two different reasons. On every side of the of the on each side of the coin, uh, is that a saying? It is now. Okay, so I know that I love going to the movies because you know I like going to the to the the, to the, the ritual theater, of it. Yeah, the ritual the of it. The theater, but also I like uh, I like to be engulfed in darkness and seeing a movie distracts me from my own life all my bullshit falls to the wayside and i get sucked into some so it's it's a wonderful distraction for me and also i get to see humanity you know what i mean it lets it both me distract see, you from life but also helps you it helps me see myself deal because, with life deal with life and see you know like and feel less alone and all of that and distract myself and i also feel like when i act because i'm a multi-hyphenate you know what i mean like yeah. uh but uh, when i act it's I, I get distracted i get to be i get to be something else even though i can only play myself really <laughs> But, uh, um, you did a great job playing Sandra Bullock the other day. Thank you. Oh, David Lowry. This is how amazing he is. As successful as you are, David came over to my house the other night to use my shitty camera to put me on tape for an HBO pilot audition, which I did not get a call back for. But maybe because the first scene was kind of weak. But uh, hey, I tried. 
I it was all about because you were you were ready to give up, and we're like, <laughs> let's just do this. But that was just so funny. It's like anyway, whatever. You can check out a fragment of that moment, uh, two fragments of that experience with David Lowry on my Instagram at Alexi Wasser. But anyway, oh, and another thing about films, I was talking about this with Ty West. His full name is Tymon, which I think is ridiculous because it's not a real name. It, he should have been named Simon, but whatever. Um, this is why. <laughs> Lion anyway. King, baby. <laughs> Tymon is from The Lion King. Timon and Pumbaa. So he, what, his parents saw The Lion King and like he was conceived. Ty no, was he's, conceived. Like, he was well before then. But nonetheless, I like the, I mean, <laughs> the, uh, the chronology of that doesn't quite line up. I never knew that. I never knew that was his full name well, until I mean, just right now. Tymon. You know, like I've seen guys on dating apps named like Dathan. <laughs> And I'm like, your name is Nathan. It's like okay. a weird Star Wars name. <laughs> I can't do it. If Star Wars comes up again, but like that's they did in like Star Wars. Like, you just have like these weird names, like because like, they had the the tattooing and dantooing, and I was like, those are very similar names. No thanks. But uh, Ty and I were talking about uh, Anomalisa and how um, you know I saw that movie. I like I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. Uh, I just want to make that clear. And I thought, this is a movie that was made this year for me. Like, this is this is right up my alley. Okay, I'm watching this movie. And while I liked it, and I liked that it took its time, and that, like, you know, there's a lot of silence, and that's daring to do, and I appreciated it, um, I, I wanted it to be darker and deeper and sadder and longer, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is, like, how I have sex. It's, like, the model for my type of sex. <laughs> just kidding. Sorry, I don't know. That's up with the, okay, never mind. That was not even funny, and I apologize. <laughs> no, it was, like, it was very interesting. <laughs> okay. But, uh, and I was talking about how, like... It's, like, real goth sex. Goth sex. Yeah. Stop making such intense eye contact with me. You're married. Okay. David just shut his eyes, and I looked down. Anyway, um... <laughs> oh, God. I'm gonna get another angry text from, uh, from Augustine. Um, so anyway, so I was telling Ty, we were talking about Anomalisa, and he was, like... Okay, well, that just means you have to fill that gap. Like, you saw that movie and you wanted it to be this other thing or go further in that direction. Well, then it's your job if you want to be a filmmaker and you want to make stuff, and I do, and I'm trying, um, then then that's, I don't know, that, then that's, I don't know what, how, where we're going with this. But anyway, he says it's your job uh, as a creative person to create what you want to see. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting Yeah, it doesn't point. have to, like... It doesn't have to be the deeper, darker, longer oh, thing that, that you want, because well, it, I'm, I will make that exactly. That's yeah, a, yeah. yeah you're, that's your. That's the onus is on you to do that. I know. I just said that, and I said, <laughs> I've said onus twice in this podcast. Onus? Yeah. What's that? It's like the the uh, oh god, I don't know the actual definition, but I know how to use it in a sense. You know, when you, you ever have that phenomenon where you don't know the actual definition of the word, you can it only means explain like, it by saying the word again. Yeah, it's, it means that the um, it's it's your job to do it, basically. So that's you know, so yeah. it's my job to do it. So so the was, impact, the, the 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 importance of it, is, yeah. uh, is on your shoulders. So now we both know why we're compelled to make things, whether it's because oh wait, do you identify more as a writer, a director, or as a director, not as a not as a DP or an editor, no. obviously. I mean, okay. I do identify as an editor, actually, because I feel like that's... Oh, you're editing while you're shooting, probably, right? In yeah. your head. And I also just, like, I just think as an editor. So I do identify as an editor. And, I, and as an editor, I was finding myself to be completely fulfilled as a filmmaker. Really? Like, it really, like, I was like, I'm, I could just do this the rest of my career and be happy, probably. that's such a huge part of it. I can salvage something. My God. And the writing part, I don't think I'm the best at. But I do think that it's a necessary step for me as a director. So I definitely, I love writing. I mean, 
I kind of love writing. I have the same relationship with writing that I'm sure you do and everyone else does, which is that you hate doing it. But once it's done, you're like, oh, that was great. Yeah. Well, Fran Leibowitz has some quote where it's like uh, the only people who like writing are bad writers because it's like the hardest thing to just like plop down from the computer. I will do everything I can. I'll Swiffer Swiffer my apartment, uh, whatever. But um, the but the but the directing is is. Such, the writing is such an extension of the directing uh, in in reverse chronology because I need to know what it is that I'm putting on screen and like when I'm there to make a decision on set about where the camera is going to go, I will have a much more thorough understanding of where that camera should go if I wrote the scene itself. And so even if I were to get a great script and someone was like, here's the script, you can direct it. Uh, don't change a word. I feel like I'd have to like, if, even if I loved it so much that I didn't change a word, I'd probably have to just retype the whole thing. Retype <laughs> just it? To, so like, you, like, under- get a tactile? Just to, like, yeah, exactly. Like, of, yeah. And and so for me, writing is just the first step of directing a movie. So I, that's why I always wonder. I always think it's so weird when somebody just comes in to and directs a movie and is just a director of a movie that has nothing uh, that they're not that they did not write. You know what I mean? I just think it's yeah. such, do you think you would ever do that? I mean because you you wrote the script for Pete's Dragon, right? Yeah. So can you I mean maybe that's such an easy gig to like come into some It definitely like it, it would make it would make life easier like if I was able to do that. Would you because, want to do that or would not that? But I don't think I'd want to. That's I think it's spiritually I think it's, fulfilling. Yeah, exactly. I think yeah. I think it, like there have been a few scripts I've read. Um like a cool money gig or something? No, no, a few scripts I've read where I'd be like I would love to direct that. And just it was so good. Oh. And one of them was Alex Ross Perry's "Listen Up, Philip." Oh, I love that movie. And I asked I, him. I asked him for questions for you. He's like, "Can't think of any." <laughs> I was like, "Thank you for nothing." That, that was a script where I was like, "I want you know, not that I didn't want Alex to direct it, but I was like, if he just had written this and sent it in, I'd be like, "Yep, gonna make this. This is great. Not gonna change a word." Um, Kenneth Lonergan's "Manchester by the Sea." When I read that script, I was like, "I would kill to direct a script this good." And so the, every now and then there's some things that because you identify with something that the, yeah, you, you feel exactly. like a, you know some kind of connection and also person. and also because as a writer I I often find myself writing myself too much like like it's great to sometimes get that outside input and when you have another script that both feels like it get you get it and it gets you but at the same time as someone else's perspective you're just like it's almost like you're seeing like a a mirror image of yourself that you've never seen before. Like yeah. you're seeing the ugly side of you that you can't quite admit to yourself exists, or you're seeing a future version of you that you didn't anticipate. And that's really exciting. Um, but then I never get to direct those movies because the people that write them want to direct them themselves. So. Well, well, what do you think it is that you want to say? Cause like you're, if you're writing stuff, you're directing it, you're editing everything. I don't know. If, yeah. But like, so you must feel like there is a, you're compelled to say something. You have a specific point of view maybe, or there's something inside of you that you want to say. What is that thing? Do you think what's the common through line between everything you've made and what you would like to continue to make? I don't think it's my job necessarily to, to understand that. So I'll figure it out myself. Exactly. I, I'll, I'll, I'll do but, it. But I also, there, I never sit down and say like, I have a statement I want to make. Oh. And when I do, the script usually ends up being bad and I don't finish it. But I do have feelings I want to feel or to inspire in others. Oh. And I do want to evoke things that are just feelings. And so usually like with Ain't the Body Saints, I just wanted to make us create a certain feeling. And I didn't know how to put that feeling in words. I could be like, I could describe like a series of images that, or sounds that might give it to you or a song. But I couldn't say like, I want it to be about this beautiful melancholy melancholy <laughs> that's generally that's generally every movie i make it's oh, like great. i just want it to be about deep longing and, <laughs> deep and longing. nostalgia and bittersweet feelings <laughs> that are not neg- negative but aren't 100 percent happy either anyway the the, the it usually is that it's usually like a feeling i want to evoke and a sensibility that i want to 
just, you know, hang my hat on. And if other people go and look at that movie and feel like there's a statement behind it, I'm always interested in hearing that, but it's not. And I'm, sometimes I'm like, Oh, that's, that's probably right. I didn't think about that, but I don't set out to do that. And, and I don't know that I ever will. What are the films that you watched when you were a kid or that made you go like, oh, that inspired, I want to be that. I want to be a filmmaker. Well, it was definitely Star Wars. Like that was the, oh my God. that was the thing. Like it, <laughs> okay. it was like, it was Star Wars, but then like you go through Star Wars and Indiana Jones and then, and then I got to high school and it was more, or ter- when I was 12, Tarantino, I was like, oh, I've got to make Pulp Fiction. And I remember writing a script that was a horrible Pulp Fiction ripoff. Oh, I love that movie so much. And I sent it to Quentin Tarantino and asked him to produce it. You did? How did you find his address? Are you serious? I've. I think I looked it up in the phone book. Are you fucking serious? But I don't know how, because it would have been in California. I don't know how I found his address. I found it. I think I called information and found his production companies. Yeah, something like that. So something in happened? the pre-internet days. Oh, my God. I just got a form letter back, and I still have it. Oh, what did it say? No it's saying we can't accept unsolicited materials. Uh, thank you, and best of luck in your endeavors. Whatever, some, one of those things. Yeah. But I had, like, the Reservoir it. Dogs letterhead. Yeah. I think I'm using it. It's in a book, bar. It's in a book somewhere. Yeah. But I, I love that I have that. The, um, the, but I, so yeah, it was Tarantino. And then from there, like really getting into like in my late teens, early twenties where I mean, 2001 was one of the first movies I ever saw. So Kubrick was always, whether I knew who he was or not, uh, a huge influence, but he was a gigantic influence in my early twenties. Bergman was a huge influence and you go through that phase. I feel like you go through these phases and then, you, and then like in my late twenties, wait, that's right now. Yeah. Whatever. You're in your thirties. We know it. I, uh, <laughs> I was, it was, it was. With your tongue ring. Ridiculous. Hong Kong. Take that out. <laughs> uh, Japanese, Korean, like Asian cinema. There was like a sense of like this. Oh, this where, where girls are like taking their white panties off and having sex in an elevator. What's yeah, that I movie love that with stuff, guns? Right? I don't know. No, I don't know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, sorry. Well, the, I saw that movie. Um, the, this Pan-Asian style that was very slow. So you have filmmakers like uh, Hao Shen and Simon Lang who do these like incredibly slow quote unquote boring movies that I just fell in love with and I was like this is what movie making's all about and then Paul Thomas Anderson runs through all that like just like being massively obsessed with him and consistently inspired by him and his growth as a filmmaker so it's just like and then and then friends like friend like seeing Ty make House oh, of the Devil they meant the show Friends I friends, was like I, I love that, that show too, too. <laughs> that too I love it I do actually love it <laughs> I do too we started rewatching it's it so from, cozy it, Netflix yeah, it's on yeah, Netflix I love it. it gets me through the, my life and uh but no like just seeing like like Ty make House of the Devil was like I was like oh man he just like he knocked it out of the park and that was really inspiring to me and and just seeing him do it on his own terms especially when he got in that fight with the producers over the 10 minute sequence where the girl explores the house which is the best part of the movie oh he did I'm gonna oh, have, I'm gonna have him a, on the podcast he'll tell too. that story yeah it's a good story because he won he won and rightly so because it's an amazing sequence but like just seeing him make that horror movie and then put that sequence in the middle of it I was like fuck yeah that is amazing well because they say he makes horror horror films he doesn't make horror films I mean you know what I mean like he makes these like arty interesting things yeah. that are like he's just if you think he's participating gonna... in a genre without actually like you know it's uh, not... like I mean I think maybe he's gotten a little bit typecast because he's almost only done that but that's what changed with his new this film about... in a valley of violence opening this South is... by Southwest in three weeks is it really oh yeah wait but this is about you all right yeah. it's about you and Augustine and me and yes. how we all factored together in this mad mad world um oh wait triangulation <laughs> so um are we good on time still are we okay all right, cool. Just checking in, making sure. Oh, God. Um, so many thoughts and feelings, things I want to talk to you about. Okay. When you're directing, I'm, I'm asking for me because mm-hmm. you're, you're, I feel like you're my big brother. 
All right. And another wonderful thing about you not being a lechy creep, you're this wonderful man I met. And something you, I want to say thank you, because I feel like I am a monster who constantly needs to be validated because I have a lot of insecurity. uh, And I know, and because I respect you so much, that's what I was kind of referring to before uh, about you keeping, keep you uh, forging on with your career, even when you were like super broke or whatever, or things were tough. Um, Did people validate you that you respected to keep it going? Mm -hmm. Because for me, sometimes, like, if I show you something or you read something on my blog or I show you a little short film or tell you about an idea that I'm thinking about and you like it and you're into it, that like means so much to me. Like David Lowry will give me notes on, on my writing or short films or whatever. And like that is – it means something to me. It's like the most beautiful, wonderful thing. So uh, I don't know what my point was here. But uh, oh, yeah. And then – I, I can't do this. I'm all over the place. <laughs> the sirens in the background. The sirens in the back. Oh, are there farm, firemen coming? Yes. It's incredible. Oh, so give me advice as, as the big brother that you are to me. Um, what's the be- What have you learned is the most important thing to do as far as directing? Because me directing on my most recent short film turned into clearly I talk a lot. Clearly I talk a lot. And then I would find myself rolling my eyes at the actors or just getting frustrated very easily and then saying things like just deliver the line like human beings speak okay like and i know that does not work tell me what what uh, what a good director does i am still learning a little bit or a lot but i do think that one of the things i've learned is just having a perspective when you get there that you can explain clearly is very helpful. And sometimes that's as much as saying like to the DP, I want this shot to be from right here. And the DP will be like, well, you can't do it for this reason or that reason. And maybe that's a good reason or not, but you're like, I want it to be here and here's why. Like, and then when you're working with the actors, um, to both trust them, but also to know what you want the scene to be about or to the, the line to be about and how it's going to play into, you know, what happens next or what came before. Because, you know, a movie is not a flat line. It's moving up and down. And your job is to or- orchestrate those ups and downs, even though you're shooting the whole thing massively out of order. And so having a catalog of of those moments and those inflections and the things that the peaks that the movie needs to reach or the valleys that it needs to plummet to, both visually and performance-wise, is yeah. is the big challenge of the job, I think. And so... You know, when you were working with anybody, whether it's the cast or the 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 craftspeople, craftsmen who and women who create the uh, do all the, <laughs> the, the lighting or the cinematography or whatever it may be, to understand where each moment is coming from and why, and even if you don't, uh, to know to to sort of know the, when it's not right. So much of the job for me, as someone like when I said I don't know how to do it yet. Like, I don't know all the answers, but I don't think you ever do. And so much of it is when you're on set, knowing when something is not right and pushing further. I think that it's really easy to settle. And it's really easy to let people convince you to settle. Oh. Because, like, a DP might be like, the shot's great. It's, we got it. It's perfect. And he may be right, or she. And um, the, but the thing is that you might have intuitively some reason why it needs to be different. And you might not know what it is, but you might have to just say, let's try something else because this isn't it yet. Or you might know exactly what it is and be like, come on, asshole, just put the camera where I told you. But 
that same goes with the cast where you might not know exactly the right direction to give them to get them to nail the line the way you want to, but you need to know if it's not working the way you want it to. And they may be surprising you and giving you something that's great. And you're just like, wow, that is amazing. I love this. This is so good. But you know in your heart that it's not the right moment for the movie. I remember that happened on Audi the train wreck when we were doing that. There was this big 20 minute scene between the two dudes and we tried shooting it once. It was like, this is the climax of the movie, this conversation between these two guys. And the one about like hotels, about uh, airport security yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And the first time we did it, they were improvising and didn't quite know the lines all the way and doing a lot of improvisation. And it kept going in different directions. And it was great. It was entertaining and funny and meaningful. But Frank was like, this is terrible. Like, this is not right. We're going to stop and we're going to come back in a week and do it again. And you guys need to know the lines. And I was like, that's really impressive because if I was in his shoes, where, where I was coming from as a guy operating the camera, was like, this isn't what was in the script, but this is great. Like, this is really great. I'm really enjoying this. And this is, a, this is entertaining and meaningful and I like it. But it wasn't right. And he knew that. And he was instantly just like, like, we're not even going to try again now. We're going to stop the scene, reschedule it and come back to it when you guys know the material. And so being able to do that is 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 very necessary. If and, the actors are shutting down, let's say the actors are shutting down, it's not happening. They're imploding. They're 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 feeling their feelings. Uh, you know, how do you? It's like a delicate dance. What do you do? Is you in a situation like that? I don't know. It's different for everybody. I assume. Yeah. I, I mean, you could go shoot something else, but maybe you can't shoot something else. Maybe you shoot the. You're like, okay, we're going to do this as coverage, or we're going to do the other person's angle first. I don't know. Like you, you. It's probably just an in the moment thing, and like I, I could come up with a number of solutions, but none of them might be right for that moment. Um. So with now you this is your first big studio film, right? Yes. So with notes and life and moving to LA and writing and and all the stuff, how do you not want to kill yourself? I mean, but how do you balance stress? Like how do you maintain your relationship with Augustine uh, and your career and not implode? Do you meditate? Do you run? Do you do yoga? What do you do? I run. That's like my form of meditation. Although I did download Headspace, the app that you told me about. Oh, you did Headspace. It said if we're not even sponsored by anybody yet, but maybe they'll become. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't, I haven't tried it out yet because they said in the first things like find the right time to do it every morning. And you're like, Can't and my do days it. have been shifting so drastically. I haven't had like a. And single, you're non-committal. I'm non-committal. You're non-committal. That's a very good except, point. Except to Augustine, you committed to her. Yes. Um, um, but yeah, it's ten. But running. Running. Okay. That's like my thing. I don't do as much as I should. I'm running a half marathon next week and I hope I can finish it. Oh my God. Um, Congratulations. And I, I, I try to just remember to breathe. Like that's like, I, I probably should do yoga. Augustine's a yoga teacher. I should probably take her class. Oh, but yeah, I, but you need your space. You I guys live yeah, together. Exactly. You're married. Exactly. You're, you're, you know, come on. But like breathing is definitely like something that I just do. Like when I find myself, I clench my teeth a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I'll find myself just like, Ugh. And then whenever I notice myself doing that, I just do like, okay, relax all the muscles in my face and start breathing and just like pretty generic relaxation techniques, but that that work. <laughs> I mean, they that really work. do. Um, and I, on a set of the movie one day, I remember one of the actors came up to me and just looked at me and he could tell that I was just roiling with inner turmoil. Oh, really? And he was just like, just breathe, man. And I was like, I was like so moved that he recognized it yeah. and then just like would just come up and just like gently tell me that. And I was like, hot damn, you're right. And then, you know, that got me through that day. And then, I, you know, it's, you forget, but you, that's the, that's the way I do it. So. Do you internalize everything? Do you, do you ever get angry? Do you ever, 
snap? I don't get angry externally much. Yeah, you just hold it all in? I hold it all in. And I noticed my dad did the same thing growing up. Well, actually, no, he had a bad temper when I was younger, but then learned how to internalize it. And uh, and I I feel like it's probably not good to hold it all in. So I try to let it go. I, I, I just... I think there are a lot of hobbits out there singing right now. Oh, my now. God. I don't know if anybody out there can hear it, but what's happening out there, Aristotle? A showdown. It's a show. Oh, well, listen, we're going we're gonna to bring this plane. We're going to land this plane, as they say in showbiz slash Tinseltown. Um, would you say you're happy? Yeah, I'm happy. You are happy? Yeah. Um, I have moments of massive stress and, like, anxiety and, and, and anger that I internalize and all of these other things. But I definitely feel like I'm in a good place. Um, wait, do kids make fun of you? Is that anybody ever mean to you? Like or, growing up? Yeah. Or now? Uh, or now who cares, who yeah. cares about now? Fuck those idiots now. But when you're a little kid, like, do you feel like your oh, life... Oh, yeah, totally. Do you feel like something that, that makes you uh, want to be successful? No, not that you want to be successful, but... Prove them right. Like, prove you, all those, those... Do you, do you have something that you want to prove as a human being? Like, I'll show them. Do you have that in bit, you? yeah. You do? Oh, yeah. that's great. I was definitely... I had a, you know, I was like... Like a ugly, overweight, little preteen going through the pangs of puberty and all the other kids in school made fun of me. And, and it was just the, all the usual stuff. I had a lisp and I was very, it was, it was, I was not like the, I was not like a catch, so to speak in the junior high dating world. Yeah. Um, Did you have braces? No, I probably should have though. I had neck gear and braces and I still have a lisp. Um, oh man. I um, wish I had braces. Um, <laughs> But uh, you can you can buy them for yourself now. I could. I've thought about it. You might. You should do it. Get a Invisalign, Invisalign, or something. I've Listen. got my week plans all set now. Yeah. All right. Um, but anyway, I, I did, and and also I think oddly enough, this is gonna sound really bad, but it's something I've done a lot of thought on. Is like when you're like in a family of nine kids, there's like an intrinsic competition. Oh really? And I've thought about how I, you know, like you, you want to be the best. You, you want to, yeah, and you're better. But I also love everybody in my family and try to, like, I want them to, you know, I blah, 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 hire, hire all my siblings to work with me. But at the same time, like, there is this, in, it's it's not, I don't, I'm not proud of this, but it's an intrinsic competitiveness. Oh, my God. That I don't know if any of my other siblings have, and I haven't talked to them about it, but I definitely think about it. And, like, there's a feeling of, like, I want to be the best. And it's probably, like, in a very, like hierarchical like you know sense of we go down through history to back when we were all cavemen just like if they're a big family like whoever got the most food i think you need to be like yeah. that. that's what how, why how people rise because like, you have to have pure perseverance what keeps you going you know what i mean like it's uh people be- have noticed i eat really fast like i eat lots of food really really fast that's very sexy that's the sexiest thing you've said the entire podcast <laughs> it's it's not i i am trying to now that i'm aware of it i'm trying to like deal with this problem but like i was told like uh, that's probably- because of having a large family it's probably like a vegan lentil loaf too so it's like super sexy it's so, like vegan yeah. gravy. <laughs> it's like so blissfully flavorless um so you're oh man all right well give here's what i want you to do give us a little give a little something back uh give kids who want to be you like or do what you do do something creative or be a director or cinematographer whatever be a director writer whatever give them some advice don't quit don't quit unless you're shitty and make horrible shit. <laughs> no, because you will be shitty and make horrible shit, and then it'll get better. There are a handful of magical unicorns in the world. And you're one of them, David No, Lowry. no, no, who are super unicorns with two horns. I'm just trying to go, because you already used the word unicorns, so I have to, like, platform off of that, who just, like, make gold from the very outset. 
and most people don't. They make really shitty things, and then they get better. And sometimes they stop before they get better. But I think I've made my fair share of shitty things, and and I hopefully have most of that behind me. But the but you go through that, and you just have to. You're gonna make them, and they're gonna be terrible. And people will tell you they're not that good, or they'll lie to you and tell you they are good. And you just have to like look into your own heart and understand that they might be something that you're proud of, but that aren't quite there yet. And just because you don't get into a film festival or you don't get into, if you're a writer, a literary magazine or whatever it may be that you're trying to do, you just have to keep doing it and not quit. And what's next for you? What's, what's next for David Lowry? David Patrick Lowry. I've got a, another movie with Robert Redford that I'm going to make hopefully this year. It was originally going to be in May, but now the Pete's Dragon thing is pushing on and on. So we'll probably have to do it maybe in the summer, um, maybe right after Pete's Dragon opens. And then I've got a really small movie that I want to make that I'm going to just make. My first movie I made for $12,000. I want to do another movie like that. And, um, and then I've got a couple other things that I'm just writing and we'll see what all happens. But, you know, I, I'm very much of the belief in this industry that aside from the one that I know I could make right now for $12,000, like all the other ones may not happen because everything is so, I don't know, everything shifts around a lot. You know, it's interesting. I'm glad we didn't uh, answer that question that kind of fell to the wayside when you uh, glazed over and you stopped <laughs> listening to me about uh, about the state of cinema or whatever the fuck I was talking about because you can save that answer for when you do your second podcast, which should be the Brett Easton Ellis podcast. I would love to do that. Let's, it's a great podcast. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just saying. But I really enjoyed that this one. I don't know. I had a blast. Thank this you for great. thank you for speaking with me, David Lowry. Thank you for having me, Alexi Wasser, and I'm glad that our relationship, sexually tension free, can persevere for the rest of our lives. One last time, I just want to say, you're my best friend. Am I your best friend, David Lowry? You're 100% my best friend. Now leaving nerdist.com. 